Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. Hi, Nick. Hey, David. Hey. So we got, uh, hey. we got Nick Bongers here again today. Uh, All right. He's, uh, you know, promoting his uh, Great Lakes guitar pickups. I have in my hand and I haven't opened them for the, uh, for the group yet, but I'm going to do it soon. Uh, the, yeah. uh, single coils that we'll be giving away for the month of, uh, March, <laughs> March, month of February, March. March. Um, and, uh, these I'm, I'm looking forward to installing these Jim, you had already kind of shared your thoughts before we started. Uh, and you said that the pickups that you have that we're giving away tomorrow, um, when I do yep. the drawing are, the um the 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 they're like eight out of ten. That's what you said. Like eight, yeah. nine, which is really good. Eight, nine out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I would definitely pay the price for them. And I think that's what uh, you know. They're they're great value. Um, like I was showing before, uh, you know, they have a snap to them that doesn't get lost when you roll off on the volume. They don't. It doesn't get lost. Like. They don't become this muddy mess when you roll back. In the There's tone. a ton of clarity, right? <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to do another video uh, tonight or tomorrow morning before I cut them out and um, package them up for shipping. Um, but the video is going to be, you know, kind of like, okay, here's everything that they're, they're capable of in this guitar and this, uh, this amp. Cool, cool. And I'm using wow. an awesome amp, Nick. And I think this is one of your favorite amps. Um, and it's a, it's a Katana. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what, <laughs> we, we were just briefly having a discussion where nick actually straight up asked us why do we love the katana so much and um i kind of i kind of took myself back a little bit because i'm like well it doesn't really sound that great like it's not so i'm not going to sit here and pretend like the katana is is a 350 dollars amp that sounds like a thousand dollar amp it's not um what I think it does do really well is it sits nicely within like the hot rod deluxe kind of territory replacement stuff. 350 yeah. bucks. The hot rod deluxe is 600, I think now. Yeah. Uh, five, 600. And the hot rod deluxe would be really heavy and really loud, heavy, loud, uh, no effects, 
the effects loop on him is shit. The and and I'm probably gonna catch some hate mail for that, but I think the effects loop on him is garbage because it's on the deluxe. Yeah, yeah, it's noisy. I've had problems uh, plugging things in and just like getting crazy hums and stuff going on. Um, and then uh, the uh, the clean channel on them, of course, is what everybody buys them for, but the drive channel is completely useless. And the Katana, at least you're going to get a, a usable drive sound, one of three, right. and you're going to get a decent clean sound. And that's, I think most people are into them because the clean sound with pedals, like they sound pretty good for that. I, yeah, I, to, I guess to me, they the, the Katana seems like, a, like an entry-level, like, uh, entry level gigging amp. That's exactly what it is. That's yeah. exactly what it is. I mean, as long as you take it for, I mean, it's like you said, it's not God's gift to solid state amplifiers, but it is a, a solid state entry level gigging amp. I don't think I would even consider it solid state, Nick. I mean, the only thing that's in it that's solid state is the power amp, and that's class D. So it's pretty new. It's basically neutral. Um, everything in it is, it's a GT1000 or GT100, not the 1000, yeah. uh, a Boss GT100 <laughs> effects processor. In, yep. slapped into a class d power amp that's yep. that's what it is yeah. um, if they it, had put if they had put bluetooth on it it'd be even more useful oh yeah but and they, they save that for the air which yeah, is but, just ridiculous but yeah uh, and i want to say this i i liken the katana because you got to remember this is not my primary gigging amp but it it's fine for playing in somebody's um uh house and i can still use it to gig especially the 100 um but i can get it loud enough to be heard over the drums and over everybody else and I rehearse with a guy that's got a reverb and uh, a Fender reverb and, and I uh, pro reverb. Yeah. Yeah. And I cut right through and I'm not even, I showed him, I said, I'm on 50 Watts at quarter, quarter power. I got a lot of headroom, but um, I liken it more to like, if you're going to go hunting, right. Or, or camping or something um, and you need some tools, are you going to bring your, your toolbox, your giant toolbox, or are you going to bring, you know, your, your multi-tool? Sometimes the multi-tool is the right tool. And sometimes the whole toolbox is the right tool. And if you're just camping and all you're going to do is maybe um, have to cut some fishing line and, um, you know, fix a can of soup or something, the multi-tool is just fine. I mean, I bought, I, mean, I bought mine for backup because yeah, I, I have no intention of using this thing as a, as the primary live gigging amp. It's just when, when I, when I met David, it was, it was basically off a, a shared love for nice amplifiers. So yeah. The fact that that Dave has a a, a a boss amp, I was like kind of twitching because I'm like, I thought he had more of an epicure for nice guitar amplifiers, oh, and now he's kind of slumming it with a katana. Know. You know, there That's must exactly be something. It, to it. That's exactly it. So, um, I have right now, and I, I'm just looking around the room because there's various things. I have a Mark Five Twenty Five. That's my primary amp for new listeners to the show or whatever. Um, that's a Mesa Boogie, and then I have uh, with a matching cab. And then I have the uh, Helix, which is what I use at my house 99% of the time. And then I have a Katana head, which I use for when I go places. Um, I actually have done rehearsals with the singer-songwriter, and I just take this, plug it into the wall, and knock it out. Uh, I leave the – yeah, I leave the amp one at one rehearsal place, um, and I and I truck it back and forth sometimes. <clears throat> um and uh, that's my primary gigging amp. And then this thing is just a backup. It sits in the in the back of the car. But the nice thing is, like, I've left this thing on for, like, 24 hours at a time because I forgot that. But it's fine. It's yeah. whisper quiet. I'm not blowing tubes. I'm not, you know, the, the maintenance on it is, Zilch. you know, blow, blow the dust off every and now it, and again. And it has pretty much every connection option you could possibly want. I mean, that's the other thing is it's got 
freaking two foot switch jacks. It's got um, my head MIDI and and JFC. Yep. It also seems more. It also seems more socially acceptable to to go to a gig and see somebody with a really nice guitar and then a shitty amp. You don't see too many. You don't go to too many gigs. The guy has like this awesome freaking yeah. amp and that crappy guitar. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you get a nice guitar, you get good pickups, and then whatever money you've got left, you kind of spend on the amp. Yeah, um, it's kind of that way for some people. I mean, I'm, I'm I said to David, actually, but I sent a picture to David of um, one of the popular um, uh, country gigs or bands around here. He's playing um, uh, a Lukather, which yeah. is yeah, a three thousand dollar guitar <laughs> through one of these right yeah. here. The no, he's got the fifty or whatever. He's got the a little one, you know. <laughs> that's slumming it right there. Yeah. I mean, and he's he's making good money, um, you know, in uh, his thing. So he's got that, and I think his backup guitar is a. Uh, um, can't remember. It's it's his down guitar, but that's it's a Fender Striving. In all honesty, um, and then if you look at his board, you know, I, he didn't have a picture of his board up. He's got the um, the Lagrange for pedal. Yeah. Um, so th- that just proves that these things are good platforms for the mm-hmm. pedals. He's got. I mean, it, that's his drive pedal. He's got a lot of different pedals. He's got the um, you know the MXR copy, and he's got right, the, right, right. You know, but it, it just shows that. Um, you know, as an overall uh, Swiss Army knife, it does an all right job. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. and again, if you're if, if I was out like you do um, the the not Ace Fraley, I keep wanting to say, yeah Ace Fraley. You do the Ace Fraley thing, and so you would look stupid with this. I'm not, I I would laugh you off the stage, even when I was a teenager. I didn't know you know anything except I knew that Ace Fraley had Marshalls, not Boss Katanas behind him. And yeah, he well, just had that, the guitar on the floor behind him. Yeah, that's all a secret. You know, you can sidewash anything, but as long as you got that wall of marshals in the back, that's what people think you're playing through. That's that's right. part of the mystique and everything. I don't yeah. know. I I feel like this boss katana uh, uh, hoopla is kind of reminiscent of maybe what PV was in the '80s with their solid state amps. Kind of, you know, because um, it, it, I never. I never didn't like the PV solid state amps. I always thought they sounded good, but I found better amps as I kind of matured. Sure. Right. And I think, I think price points a big part of that. Yeah. I do think the Waza head is probably pretty compelling. If you need a super reliable, like solid state amp, um, yep. that would be kind of the thing I was looking at. And I told Jim already, like I actually want to look at one, um, but no one has them. So uh, it's going to have to wait till gear fest. But um, the other thing I, everyone wants to compare the katanas to super high end amps. And that's where I think it, uh, it falls short. It's not going to yeah. do. I made a video where I compared it to my Mark 525, trying to get like a similar feel out of both amps, not the same sound, but a similar feel. Mm-hmm. And this thing was that the katana was bright. It was way too bright, even through the same cab. Um, and I just, that's so why I was like, well, it's a good backup. If we want to put it this way, like what's if that's the the crappiest amp you own, like quote unquote, my the my lowest end amp is a an early nineties uh, Tweed PV Classic thirty amp, and I was yeah. I was gonna try selling right. it last week for three hundred and fifty bucks, and I put new. Oh, t- I buy that from you. <laughs> once I once I put new tubes in it, I was like, oh shit, I can't I can't sell this anymore. It yeah, sounds. Uh, I mean, in a pinch, I I would take this to any gig that I that I had to do. 
Yeah, I, it depends on the needs too. Because I mean, like this thing is, you can have up to four channels, and so I mean, if you really want, if you really need to have a couple of extra sounds on tap, and the other thing is, like, if you don't want, if you have a gig where you don't want to bring a pedal board, you could theoretically get by with this thing. Um, I don't personally. I mean, if I had to buy the katana again, I was kind of thinking about this afternoon. I was like, I probably wouldn't. Um, I because I, I of course have owned it twice, so. Don't don't listen to me at all because I, I sold one and I bought it again. Um, I would probably I, I've been thinking about selling it. If I do, I'm getting another amp with the money that comes out of it because I do need to, to have a second amp. Like that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. Um, the funny thing was though we were talking about the comparison thing. I was I'm in the Katana users group, and um, today some guy blew up the internet over there, and uh, he put a thread up there that you know my Mark V is way better than this Katana. And it was like, well, no shit. Like, no, really? I mean, you're you're comparing a two thousand uh, dollar tube amp, you know, from a premium manufacturer to my, this thing. I mean, it, my, Maserati, my Maserati blows away my um, my <laughs> yeah, nine <like>, liter. <laughs> thank yeah. you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> no, no shit. Well, it, it, people got mad. The <laughs> guys just—that's like, what got funny because like the Katana guys were defending him. Oh were, yeah. Like, Oh no, it's way better than any two bam. I'm like, you guys are on drugs. Yeah. I, I'm I'm reading these thread this thread and I'm like, what are you people smoking? You're Again, all- this is I, I take this back to the toolkit. I have a, I have a bag of tools, right? That I'm gonna take to a gig. You see them right there? Well, you see three three of them right there, right? So I'm gonna take those three guitars. That the Gibson's two down, Gibson and, and the, the and the other two back each other up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and honestly, I play both of them to put, I just swap in and out because they're, they're interchangeable. The yeah. and, the, and to be honest with you, um, you know, and, and David knows, cause I do it all, all week long. Go, oh, Dave, look at this guitar. This is so sweet. Uh, sometimes um, it's annoying. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm that guy. Ooh, look at that. Um, so, but I, I, but I found the tools that I like and I like to carry. It's really the katana is just there just in case. I can leave it in the car. I don't have to worry about somebody breaking in to steal it because if they do, they're an idiot. Um, and uh, I, I can, you know, be out there and and playing through my uh, my amp one. That um, that thread turned out to be such a tire fire, guys, that they actually deleted it. Yeah, one of the things that we don't know <laughs> is, you know, just like we said, the Katana is an, an entry level amp, right? It's an entry level whatever. So a lot of those people. You know, and this kind of goes back to reviewing gear, you know, like people say, oh, this is the best amp on earth. Well, how many other amps have you played? Like, you know, you you were saying tools, like if you go to Harbor Freight and you buy a half inch wrench for for three dollars and you've never tried the snap on box wrench. Right. Know that, you know, you're going to turn the wrench. It's going to it's going to work fine, but you don't know what what else is out there and if it's any better, but you're going to go on Harbor Freight's website and, you know, do, you know, awesome reviews on the only wrench that you've ever used in your life. And then then of course, in the gear community, you have people that like to lie about what they have, which is what's hysterical. And you got guys in there like, I sold my Bogner ecstasy to get, to get a Katana. Like (laughs) there's no effing way. You are so full of shit. Yeah. You sold your Bogner Bogner ecstasy to pay for those, uh, Drugs you got, and then bought yeah. a katana with what was left over. No, no, he didn't buy no <laughs> drugs. He did He sold his. He sold his uh, Bogner ecstasy, and then bought the katana, and uh, obviously took a bath 
because he's a moron. <laughs> I mean, seriously though, like who da, who who is actually going to buy that story? Yeah, but just the same thing when I hear somebody going, "I've got a I've got a Squire um uh vintage modified and it's better than any freaking custom shop um Strat I've ever owned." And I yeah. just want to say, well then, obviously the custom shop Strats suck ass. No, I'm because- the first guy to point out that like you can find guitars at all price points that like are playable and and sound no, it, and are usable, but you're yes. absolutely right. You, you there's a couple of things in that. Number one is, not is better. Let's face it. When you buy an expensive item, like let's say let's say I buy a Ferrari, right? We all know that the the Toyota Supra, if you put the work into it, is is still one of the fastest cars on earth. If I buy a Ferrari, am I going to say that it's better than the Supra? Hell yeah, I probably am. Yeah. But that's the thing, like it's a status Who's sell their Ferrari to buy a Supra. It's a status symbol. And that's my point. There you go. I can tell time on a Rolex and I can tell time on a Casio G-Shock. Yeah. Okay. But which one am I going to tell time with and impress people with? Yeah. There is a point where that happens. That's the, that's the tipping point, right? If you're looking at, um, all right, let's even, let's leave out custom shop. Let's just talk about the Fender elites, right? Yeah, if okay. the Fender Elite model is not as good as the Vintage Modified, what are people buying Fender Elites for? That's my point. It would be a status thing yeah. at, that, at that level. I don't think it's all status. Like, obviously, I, I also believe in diminishing returns. I think at some point, right. you're paying a lot more for a lot less. Yes. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't really feel like you're going to get a Vintage Modified. That Even in the, if you get the pick of the litter model, it's going to be as good as the fit finish you're going to find on, you know, uh, a standard, you know, premier level guitar, like, like the, uh, elites. Right. Yeah, I, I guess the difference is I know people that, um, you know, especially like people like my, my brother, they, they've been playing guitar since, you know, the late seventies. And if it was between owning like a, an Eric Johnson, American Strat or owning, uh, three squire vintage vibes like he owns the vintage vibes and he puts my pickups in them and now he's got more flavors than what he would have had on the the one eric johnson yeah and then i get that too but one of the things that came up in that thread was somebody actually and this this just drove me nuts they're like well you can have 10 katanas for the price of your mesa yeah and i stopped i thought about that and i said no not mine because my mesa was like 1400 bucks yeah so i could have like five katanas for the cost of my mesa yeah, I want five katanas. I, so, uh, yeah, I'd rather have five with the same fucking amp. Wall of <laughs> katanas. Okay, yeah. so this is a great, that, you know, I think Nick took us into a great segue because, um, so let's say, all right, so next month, probably, probably, if he's winding, um, if Nick, if you're winding Telly's uh, pickups. <laughs> he's he's uh, winking at you right now, like, wind some Telly pickups. Okay. You'll be sending them to me. So that I'll put them in this Telecaster, right? We're going to take, this is a, this is a dropped on the floor, um, Guitar Center special. It literally is. <laughs> yeah, it was dropped on the floor at Guitar Center. If you, I, I don't know if you followed anything. So this guy right here, we'll take pickups out of this Fender Squire Affinity. Woohoo! Lower than this. Well, I think the bullet is lower than this, right? Okay. We're going to take it out of this guy and see where it dropped on the floor right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll put them in this and I'll do, I'll do um, all the riffs in it with the, with these pickups in it. 
And then when you send, um, when I get yours, I'll put them in here and we'll do a, um, we'll do a comparison. I think the biggest thing, like, first of all, when you get to, when you get to Telecaster, Stratocaster, this is the thing I want to, I want to stress. You get tellies and strats. This, it's a piece of wood with another piece of wood and some metal in it, right? Some electronics. It's just not that complicated. No, it's, that's and, a workhorse. That's a tool. And, the, and if, well, you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> I've happened to know a lot, like I've, I've built parts of casters before and um, the neck angle, the, the fit of the neck joint, um, how aligned the holes were when they drilled the holes to, to mount the bridge on there. Yeah. Um, like the quality of the metal in the bridge. That's what um, I was going to say. The I mean, quality of the metal no, is not outside of the finish, just how it was put together, like who, who did it and um, how the, the measurements lined up is going to, you know, the playability. But either either way, like my pickups are going to smoke that. I can't wait well, to. Yeah, I'm not talking about. So then, what I want to do, if I can, if I can do it, I want to get a, I want to get a um, high end telly here, and then play it. And I got a couple of friends with some really high end tellies. Yeah, he does. And I'll put it side by side, and and do the recording. And even if I can, if I can get them to do it, then yeah, be, have them play it. Because I've got a there's a local guy that's got some like, uh, like really when I say high end, I'm talking about like Jeff Sen from uh, uh, Nashville put these things together. I mean, smoking guitars, and that way we can say, okay, we took this thing here and we're putting it up against that. How's it sound? I mean, he'll tell us about the feel because I, for me, I hate Telecaster. I just, I just hate them. Most of them. I, I, do, I don't get along with the neck. I don't get along with just the whole thing. Whole vibe. Yeah. That, that, it's actually one of my favorite things to do. So I'll, I, visit, um, I visit my family uh, in, in Wisconsin every now and then. And a lot of the guys that, that I look up to or um, that, you know, worked at the guitar store when I was growing up, they've got, you know, a lot of nice vintage guitars. So I'll try and visit them and I'll bring my Strat and I'll say, hey, pull out that, pull out that old Strat that you got that you let me play that one time. You know, and like A B it with with this guitar and my my pickups, and I get really really good feedback that way. They say, yeah, this is good, but it's not. You know, listen to this overtone, and then you know your head will kind of tilt a little bit, and you'll think, okay, I need to maybe do this or that to get it sound. You know, but you know, for a guitar that's worth thirty grand, and then my partso caster, which is maybe about three hundred bucks. I mean, pound for pound, dollar for dollar, it's it's pretty close. I mean, you're you're. I, I like the splitting hairs part of it and to get somebody into your studio there that, you know, owns a nice telly and to have him play that dropped guitar center telly and be like, yeah. Oh wow, this is close. I mean, I'm not telling yeah. you that it's better, but you know, for right. and, we're, and we're not trying to convince anybody that it's better, but we want yeah. to get it to where it's close. And this was $140. Yeah. And hey, hey, Nick, I, I was just thinking about that amp that I treated you years ago. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt him. But I'm looking on reverb right now. Here's a Rivera. Here's a Rivera 5512 for $450. Oh, really? Yeah. How much is shipping? 100 bucks. Yeah. What what city is it in? Uh, Bakersfield. Oh, geez. Go California. Yeah. But that's why it's $100 shipping. You know, I I like the fifty five twelve Rivera, but uh, the thirty watt. I think I is know perfect. you got my thirty watt, and I'm like, I've been missing. Yeah. 
I've been I thought I traded you a knucklehead, like a hundred. You watt did. You gave me the hundred watt knucklehead, man. Yeah. I, I had so much fun with that. that I had it. I man, I made my windows ripple. Oh yeah. If you got the master on three or four and you can reach the knob, you're standing in the danger zone. Dude, That's I what. had my master on seven and I had a four by 12 cab with yeah. like, like uh, it was a carbon cab, but it had like basically G12s in it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> David, David was sitting, um, showing me his, uh, his sales, you know, that he oh, made. Oh yeah. Yeah. On Rivera, and the whole time he was crying. And he, and he was singing, I ain't missing you at all. <laughs> uh, but, you, you know, for, for those of you who don't know Rivera Amps. No, don't the, tell them. We need to keep them cheap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, they're exactly. buy them. Yeah, they're awful. And you can't get good deals on them. Don't even think about buying the Rivera K-Tray that's on there right now for $850. Just don't. No, don't. No, and that's. Oh, uh, why did I say that loud? I'm going to have to edit that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being a teenager and being like, I don't know a single person that uses Rivera amps. No, the clean channel, the clean channel is better than a twin twin reverb. And the channel one is better than a Marshall. And it's both in one amp, the tone stack, bass, middle treble. That's the Marshall channel, treble, middle bass. That's the fender channel. And I don't know why they never caught on. They never got big, whatever. And, they're still making amps. They're still successful. But the oh, ones that came out in the 90s, those are the ones that I always have to have in the collection. Lot of, a lot of pro dudes that use them behind the scenes. And they yeah, they're good them. studio amps. Yeah. Well, it's like the K-Tray. I mean, that amp is on a lot of metal records, even though like they will pretend like it's something else. You know, because I have an endorsement. I, yeah. I, I've talked to people who are like, yeah, we use the K-Tray in the studio a lot. And they're studio animals at that. Well, one of the things you can't find anymore, they came out with a, a JBL subwoofer, a 212. Yeah, uh, and it had a crossover in it. So basically, yep. it would look like a 412 Rivera cabinet. But there was two 12s in the top, and then there was a 15-inch JBL sub in the bottom. Yeah, the bottom. Plug it, you'd plug it into the bottom, and that was the crossover. And then you'd plug that into the top. And so you'd have the, the highs and the mids through the, the guitar speakers. And then you'd have the, the chunk, basically, through the through the yeah, woofer I mean, and I, I i was talking to guys that you know were very influential throughout my teen years and i was telling them oh man i gotta have one of those low slow bottoms from rivera and they're like all right hold on a second nick he's like when you play that by yourself like in the guitar store if you buy it and take it home it's gonna sound like the best amp ever because you're all by yourself when you uh, play it on stage in a band the frequencies that you're playing the low notes on are going to compete with the bass and you're not the bass. You're the guitar player. Guitar players are meant to be in that mid mid range on the foundational part. So he's like, as long as you're going to keep it in your house and play by yourself, it'll be fine. But you're going to get lost. Those, the lows in your guitar are going to get lost in the mix. So if you ever play in a band sitting with it, so that, that talked me off the ledge. All right. All right. So, so the bottom thing, like I get what you're saying and I, and it's true. If you're in a band where, you know, the bass has to be really solid in a specific way, like maybe it's not the right thing for you. Um, but I, that's one of those, those very specific tools that was like the thing for new metal players mm-hmm. that they like the idea of having the 15 inch, you know, ported cab for doing the, for doing that stuff. I was talking to Paul Rivera at Gearfest and I asked him about the lobotomy and he says, we'll still make them. He's like, some people do, you know, 
call us and ask for things like that. And he's like, it's, it's not a catalog item. Like we've, we've made a few. Um, and he, he was kind of indicating like, yeah, it wasn't a big seller for us, but for the people that like played in maybe a trio and they needed to cover oh, yeah. that territory, you know, who would love it is uh, uh, Tosin Abasi because they have no bass player. You know, were you talking to a senior or junior? Uh, senior. Okay. Yeah, I've so. talked to, to Paul Rivera Jr. on the phone. Yeah, I've talked to him too. Yeah, they're, they're great people. Yeah, dude. Um, I was really kind of upset that I couldn't bring myself to like spend that kind of money to buy one while I was there because it would have been really cool to buy one and have him sign one. Because like he, if you, for those of you go, that don't know, he's a legend. Like he, he completely saved Fender's amp line from, from just, being destroyed because yeah that Paul Rivera yeah yeah because he did the two series amps in the late by the mid actually probably they I think they started in 1982 like 19 he did a Yamaha amp too that was really good yep yep um and he's done all kinds of mods and stuff to people's stuff over the years and like he, he I think he worked on uh 48th street and all that in uh New York and was like really influential with working with different uh, manufacturers, designers, and has an extensive history as an engineer in the industry. But chances are at some point you had your hands on something. If you're into gear that he's had his stamp on from the engineering standpoint. And uh, that's why I'm like, you know, he's kind of a, a, a behind the scenes figure. And so for me, that gets a big. Um, yeah. The attenuator, I had the the rock crusher attenuator and yeah, I, I that wouldn't before. play. That oh, knucklehead? Yeah. I wouldn't play the knucklehead without the attenuator. Yeah, the rock crusher is pretty cool. Yeah. Everything they make is super, super loud, too. Um, so I see that Jim is now linking things. I might be pulling the trigger on one of those, depending on what happens here in a couple yeah. weeks. <clears throat> so oh, you, you're waiting a year, Jim. Two years. You're in a year of no gear, aren't you? Yeah. Fucking. Well, Except I, that you've broken it like five times already. I used to play gigs in, in Green Bay and Milwaukee, and now I'm playing around Detroit a lot. And I was in like other bands than the Kiss Tribute. I was doing cover stuff and I right, was doing right. original stuff. And a lot of people will come up to me after the show and be like, dude, what's that amp? I'm like, oh, it's, it's a Rivera. And they're like, it sounds amazing. Like, and people won't say, oh, how old is your Les Paul? Or, you know, what kind of pickups do you have? They'll say, what is your amp? And that was like the first time I ever, ever kind of looked a little weird like if you've got a marshall stack or a fender amp everybody's like yeah okay that's fine but you know if you sound good and they don't recognize what you have back there now people are like i have to have that amp and i thought that that was really cool that you had the familiar tones but it was something that somebody didn't recognize and they love the sound way, and they could go way beyond those sounds too yeah uh, tell, me, tell me what you've heard about the marshall dsl um the 100 or the uh jcm 2000 dsl 100s the um I heard I, you don't need one, Jim. I own one, and I'll sell it to you if you want it. Um, I is that actually, a good thing, or is that oh, a I, thought you had a, I thought you had a TM. Uh, well, it sounds like you play Nickelback and Creed, so it'd be perfect for that. <laughs> Those are two bands I don't get. Uh, I don't but no, um, I guess from, from what I heard, well, I, I bought one that wouldn't make any sound. And basically, there's a, a solid-state rectifier in it that I'd yep. have replaced. So I, I replaced that, and I have the... The, the other critique that I've heard of them from an engineering standpoint is that the ground is shared between the 16, the 8, and the 4-ohm output jack. Yep. So if you ever have it apart that you want to, you know, 
separate make all the grounds. Those, separate the grounds. I'm not sure if that's done on mine or not, but um, mine sounds mine sounds good. I've got the owner's manual. I've got brand new tubes in it. Um, I can get heavy metal, like the chunk of like God smack kind of tones with it. And I can get the classic rock stuff too. Um, They do sound really good clean. So like David was saying, pedal platform. uh, If you want a good pedal platform where you just throw pedals through it, it'll do that just fine. And what I, what I really like about it. And like you said, I've played Rivera knuckleheads before and all that other stuff. This has a very even sweep on the master volume from zero to 10. It's gradually, said, yeah. it, it gradually gets louder. So when I'm in my basement, I can turn that sucker up to four or five and still be good. When I get it up to 10, it's literally at 10. When I have it at four, it's literally at four. And that's what I right. really appreciate about the amp. Yeah, you don't go to six and then the rest is just saturation and compression. Yeah, because like with a Hot Rod Deluxe, my body, yeah. we, we play somewhere and the, the PA the guy's like, turn down your amp. And he's like, I'm at 0.4. I can't get it. I can't get it down anymore because it'll cut out. Right. You know, it, at least with this Marshall half stack, you can turn it up to like th- four or five. And if they want you to turn it down, you can go down to four or three and still be cool. Yep. Um, yeah. That, I used to play with a couple of guys that had them. I was just mentioning that because David um, and I were talking about them. And that was an amp that a lot of the people I played with um, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s had. and really got good good sounds out of yeah well, i'll br- i'll bring mine to, to sweetwater gear fest and if you want it you can put an offer yeah. on it i'll sell it to you i'm not i'm not attached to it yeah. jeff beck uh, used them and actually was like swearing by the amp for a while i don't know what he's using now but um and they were talking about how like that was the marshall head he finally settled on and he'd been using it for like eight or nine years yeah so i don't know i mean he may still be using the same head but um and that mod, everybody had talked about how they had modded it. And that's probably how they had modded it was opening it up and, and uh, changing those grounds out. Yeah. But, there's but a there lot of mods other, you can do to them. Right. There was some other stuff too. Like, in fact, I've heard of people actually adding tubes to, yeah. to uh, increase gain stages and stuff like that, which I, th- do those clip tubes for, I mean, they, I, that may be an amp that Marshall actually has diode clipping as well. So I'm not sure. Um, but it is a good amp. I just don't gig with it. Um, it's in my basement. I've, I've had it for less than a year, and I fixed it. For, looking to flip it. What do you What do you primarily use in your uh, Ace Frehley thing? Uh, for the Kiss tribute band, I I travel with um, with basically two amps. Well, they're not really amps. Uh, one of them is an amp. It's a Hughes and Kettner Deluxe Twenty. It's the lunchbox sized. It's the step up from the Tube Meister Eighteen. It's the the Deluxe Twenty, and um, I can run that through my four by twelve Hughes and Kettner cabinet, or I can run. Uh, there's a, re- a Hughes and Kettner Redbox DI installed on the back, and yeah. I can go right right to PA from that. So um, I, I've got all my bases covered with that. Uh, but in cases where I don't want to carry that head or a cabinet with me, I've got the um, the fly rig, the uh, the Tech or the Sansamp uh, fly yeah. rig Plexi, and I heard that they just came out with a new version of that that has yes, a tuner built in. So I am stoked about that. Yeah, I might, yeah. I might unload that and um, like the fly, the fly rig goes right into the PA. Yep. I mean, there's no DI. There's nope. nothing. You just, I mean, and that, so for me, it's like wireless. It's a, it's a, a a line six G30 that I went on Amazon and bought two more um, uh, uh, transmitters for, so I can switch between my Flying V, my Firebird, and my Iceman. Um, they're all they all have their own wireless transmitter. Turn it on. I go from the wire, uh, the the line six G thirty into a tuner, and then into the the fly rig, and I'm good to go. 
Very, very cool. Um, yeah. Jim, you're talking about the DSL. If you if you get a DSL, I'm going to slap you. You have a freaking Amp 1. What do you need that for? I don't need the DSL. No, I'm, I'm thinking about picking up a second Lone Star so I can have one to gig with. That is a good idea. Well, everybody needs to own a Marshall half stack at least once in their life. Let's let's just admit that. Whether you keep it or not is another story, but to have I a Marshall have, I have half not. stack. I have not. not? No. Well, well, then you haven't lived, man. <laughs> I, I had no, I had a knucklehead uh 100 that you traded me and and that uh that blew my pant legs sufficiently and I don't think <laughs> I really need it anymore. <laughs> but it's just the classic, it's just the classic amp, the Marshall half stack. I mean, Yeah, no it you is. Know? I want um Jim knows I, if I was going to do it, I'd get like, um, actually I saw, I did not know this amp existed. Apparently there's an amp called a JCM 600 yep. and the JCM 600 is basically like a seventies Marshall. And that was done at the same time as the 800. They rebranded the other amps as the 600. It's a single input. I think it's a master volume. Um, and I was looking at it and I'm like, I saw Johan Segborn on, on YouTube do a video on him and you can get him for like 450 bucks. And I'm like, that's my amp right there because that's what I'm after. I like the, the early like Marshall. I was going to ask you. So one of the problems, and I'm sure you've dealt with this from, from clients coming to you for custom pickups, but one of the problems I have with almost every guitar I've owned with single coils is the bass um, frequencies are usually so prominent that they tend to like, they tend to saturate the amp in a very strange way. And you get the warbling speaker and all that stuff when you palm mute. Um, now obviously there's some things you can do technique wise to prevent that. from happening. It is hard, but um, are there things that can be done on the pickup side to prevent that from, from uh, taking, you know, big hold? Give me an example, like which pickup, which position? Uh, bridge pickup, for example. Too much and, bass? Yeah. Like really? when, I'm palm, when I'm palm muting, there's so much bass that the amp goes, whoa, whoa, when I, you know, on, like for the undertones uh, below 400 hertz. And I oh, can. I, I, I haven't I, seen that before. I, I, don't, I haven't had any people express concern over that. All right. All right. We get to Gear Fest. I'm going to show you. <laughs> um, I can make that happen with anything. Um, and it's just that I think as part of it is the style of playing that, that I engage in. And it's, it's been a problem because if I, even if I, if I go to the neck pickup, it's, it's even more exaggerated. Um, yeah. and, and for some reason on most guitars, you know, low E at the seventh fret just ignites it. And I think there's like something harmonic that goes on there. Um, and I've been having the problem more specifically with my helix now, but that's actually the reason why I got away from using Rivera because I was having, I love the clean channel, but I could never get the bass control over like two. Because if I went, <coughs> then I would be getting that flubby thing. So I've, um, I've seen Kenny Wayne Shepherd play, and um, I've had the opportunity to meet him in Double Trouble and that stuff. And he's always using Fender amps, but I took particular attention to his uh, his EQ, and he runs his bass on his Fender amps at around three. And yeah. then he runs his middle like around eight and then he runs his highs around like four, between four and six. Yeah. And he's just using single coil strap pickups. And when I try that, the bass is, it's not um, thumpy, but the, the bass tones are stratty. 
And um, I kind of like that, especially for blues music. With with my pickups, what I do is um, I balance them. So the the set that you got that you're going to demo is a 1954 uh, DNA, but it has some modern uh, elements to it. So yeah, did you, I, you got bar magnets on them? No, 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 no bar magnets. But there is a base plate underneath the bridge pickup, very uh, reminiscent of a Telecaster. So um, you're going to get a very nice round tone out of the bridge pickup, whereas most most Strat bridge pickups are very thin. Um, so the the base plate underneath the bridge, and this is very Lindy Fralin esque, yeah. but um, it's just an attempt to kind of round that out and balance it out more. Uh, the the bridge is going to be the hottest. The mid's going to be the next hottest. Um, I'm using a 42 aug uh, heavy form var. Same you know recipe as what they do in the 50s. Uh, so even though uh, in the 50s they just wound all the pickups the same. So right. the the middle on this one's reverse round, reverse polarity. So you get the position two and four at nine bucking. So right. even though it's it's got 1954 DNA in it, it's 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 a modern wind. Um, the one thing that makes it unique on a 1954 set as opposed to a 60 set is that the pole pieces are slightly bigger in diameter than the uh than the the pole pieces in the 60s era uh strat pickups yeah yeah all right well i'm i'm excited to try those things because i'm a strat guy so when you're telling me like oh they're gonna be like Lindy fralins and then you're like oh well they got all these other uh little nifty appointments that are kind of period correct and that kind of thing i'm like I, this is piquing my interest. I'm very excited to try these. And I'm I'm very sad that I'm going to have to give them away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I, that's the worst part about this is we have to give them away. I feel like um, I'm, I, this is like torture. Is yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like the that's, drug dealer. You can try it for free, but after that, you got to pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the fact yeah. is, the fact is, Nick, you know, I will pay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, this isn't going to stay without pickups. So I'll be buying uh, a set yeah. of pickups for us. And then that thing. I'm definitely looking forward to whatever I can try he's, out. In the he's the guy you want to get the tally pickups from, Jim. Because yeah. ain't nobody got a set of what Nick does in your area. Um, yeah. And I'll be honest with you. like I would like to see him do kind of a Barden-esque pickup and see what that would be. You ever done anything like the Joe Bardens with the, the blade magnet? Um, I can get the parts. I've never done one before. I'd be curious. Um, if I, I want to get a Telecaster. It may not happen this year. When I get one, like we'll do a set of parts. I'll, I'll have you. Make here's it. what I, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that classic fifties Telecaster spank. That's oh, no problem. I, no problem. That's what I want. He's like, yeah, that's easy. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's what's going to, if I'm going to compare it, I'm going to have um, my friend here try it out. He's going to try that against his, you know, Jeff sends. And so you got these, these guitars that are going to be up against each other. I want that. I don't want something that's like completely different. Then it's like, well, that it's comparing, but it's comparing apples and oranges. And, yeah. And I mean, grapes in there. You know what I mean, well, you got to be careful because with tele pickups, they talk about 52 a lot. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of the time, well, in the modern days, 52 means they're L nickel five magnets on the A, uh, E, A, D, and G strings, and then the B and E are El Nico 2s. They call that the, really? 50, the 52 set. And um, I actually like that that breakdown a lot for magnets because it sweetens out the um, the, the high mm. end without making it uh, too tinny. But yeah. um, there's so many other elements that go into it that can offset that. I mean, you could go with um, an El Nico 3, which is almost a weaker vintage 
uh, kind of tone to make that neck pick up really sweet. So yeah. um, there's just a lot of options. I just did a set for a guy out in California and he wanted a, an Albert Collins kind of tone. Okay. And uh, Albert Collins played a humbucker in the neck for his telly. So yeah. I'm like, okay, for your Nashville telly, you're going to want to play in position four to get that humbucking tone. But um, it's not going to sound just like Albert Collins because of, you know, the makeup of your guitar, unless you want to route it out and put a humbucker in there, it's not going to be identical, but you know, you, you make it in that spirit and you, you try and nail that tone and you just kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, it's funny because like, I, I, I have, I have two sets of your pickups. Now I have the, I have the set you made me that's like, um, uh, the Jimmy page thing in the, in that, uh, Chinese plus Paul copy. And then I have a set in that Gibson SG and that Gibson SG gets so close to being almost strat pickups in, in a humbucker form. Like it's still a humbucker and you can tell, but it's got so much high end clarity that I can get away with actually using it buzz pedals that should be close to what jim's playing too i mean when i said a modern a modern paf i mean it it talks the talk because on a on a real paf the base plates are long-legged and on on the the sweepstakes pickups uh, those are short-legged um little stuff like that like on the original paf the the bobbins the black bobbins were made out of butyrate now they're made out of poly so the sweepstakes pickups are poly but the wire, um, the low, the low uh, ohms, the low ohm value, um, the original, the original PAFs weren't very hot. So I think that the ones in the sweepstakes were like low sevens. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe the next maybe seven k. The the bridge is maybe seven point two, seven point three, and those are uh, very vintage spec. So with all of the the modern elements, you're still getting a vintage recipe, and that's kind of why I, I called it the the, the modern PAF. So, um, I'm, I, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to verbalize what I'm thinking that, um, if, if people have a particular need for something special, like, and they don't understand the way the wiring and all that stuff works and the magnets, what they need to understand is that all of the, all of the pieces right down to the pickup construction, the ears that actually screw the pickups either to the body or the, uh, the mounting rings and the bobbins and all that stuff make an impact on the way the pickup sounds because number one, it, it, it affects things like adjustability and um, those kinds of things. But also like having pickups direct mounted, obviously it's going to increase your treble. Um, and there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle and you help as part of the process for when I, when I call you up and or, or, and or send you an email and I want to order pickups, you ask the questions that maybe people don't consider before they get a set of pickups ordered so that you can try to make sure that they get what they're looking for and get the best. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm like the match.com of, um, of guitar winding because, you know, I want you to find the one that's for you. And that one that I make for you isn't going to be for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. What I I hate is when you go to the store, right. And you're like, and I'm not, I, I've done this a good time. I've done this at Sam Ash. I've done this at, you know, guitar center and other places. And you talk to the guy that's at the pickup counter, like, I, this is what I'm looking for. And then they try to cookie cutter something together. Like, okay, so you're going to put this pickup in the bridge and then you're going to put this one in the neck. And it always feels like there's like compromises there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when I, you're the first person that I've ever bought pickups from where I'm like, this is what I want. And I got them. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. And no, no compromises. 
And I wanted to, you know, share that with our listeners because if you're on the fence about ordering Great Lakes guitar pickups, like I don't want this to be a commercial. I want you to understand, like I'm in the same boat as you guys are. I've bought pickups from from Nick twice. I mean, this is not something new to me, and I, I will buy more from him at some point in the future, provided Nick is still making pickups. Yeah, you know the the winding pickups thing for me is almost like my way of uh, like paying it forward in music because I never had a lot of money growing up, and I always wanted awesome pickups. And when I found out what they were, uh, I came from like a family of a lot of do-it-yourselfers. Um, my brother builds custom Harleys. Uh, my everybody in my family was musical in some way. Um, my grandpa built birdhouses. Like I was always around people that like to do things themselves. And when I looked at the guitar pickup, I'm like, I think I can do that. And so many people like growing up were cool to me um, in the music community, whether it was like at the guitar store, at venues and stuff. I feel like where I fit in in that community could be something like providing them like good guitar pickups. And for me, it's not about the profit. It's just something that I really, really like to do. And if I can turn somebody on um, based on what their preference is, and I can do that at a better price than what you'd find at Guitar Center at a higher quality, then um, I feel like, you know, I'm restoring my own faith in humanity by paying it forward like that. Okay, so I think, okay, so let's, let's make sure that we, we don't pick on uh, any given store because uh, in all honesty, let's face it, Guitar Center selling bare knuckles or they're selling Seymour Duncan or they're selling DeMarzio. They're they're all selling the same. All of those brands, you're buying a pickup that is not designed for you. It is designed for someone else. Some, some, and I want to say like the way the marketing community works, they create a profile and that profile is who they want to sell to. Correct. And and what I wanted to say is this. So there's nothing, nothing wrong. We don't want to be putting down people that make that decision. What we're trying to say is, and I think Nick, I don't want to, uh, I'm going to speak for you. So if I say something, you know, incorrect, please, please correct me. But um, what we're talking about here is um, let's say you go out to buy a set of pearly gates, Seymour Duncan's pearly gates. It's going to be $300 for a set of pearly gates, right? You know, 150 bucks a piece, $300. So if you buy a set of Nick Bongers, um, you know, the, the Great Lakes custom um, pickups, guitar pickups, custom guitar pickups. How are, I, I, I always Great get Lakes the name guitar wrong. pickups. DLGP, <laughs> so, my friend. <laughs> let's say that, that um, cause we've got, we've got a, we've got a user in the community that's talking about getting a set of pearly gates right now. Okay. Well, he, has, he actually has them. And yeah. So what would you charge for a set of, of pearly gates esque Les Paul replacement pickups? With a cover, without a cover. I'd go without, but let's just say with because I know that's a little more money. With a cover, maybe seventy-five bucks for the just the one pickup. Yeah. So you're looking at around one hundred and fifty a set. If you want gold, it's going to be more than that. If you okay. don't want a cover, it's going to be less. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I, I'm never going to not tell somebody to buy a Pearly Gates because if they're a big ZZ Top fan or if they yeah, um, yeah. if they just love Seymour Duncan's, but a day will come when they find out that the band they just saw has pearly gates and their buddy down the street who just started playing like last week bought pearly gates and they want to know what else is out there right. because all that they know of is pearly gates. My stuff doesn't have a brand. My stuff doesn't have a model number. I'm not going to give you like 
the screaming strings pick up. You know, I'm going to give you the pickup that you want. And it's not going to, it's like the rock. It doesn't matter what your name is. <laughs> if you can hear what you want to hear, it doesn't matter what the name is. And that's right. what I want to do. Right. And that's what I, that's what I wanted to get to, but I wanted to put that in perspective for folks in that, um, you know, a good set of pickups, even not customized are going to cost you anywhere between 200 and $300 for a decent set of replacement pickups. Um, so if you're looking at, you're looking at customized pickups that you can talk to the builder and you can say, Hey, I want this sound. You know, I want more mid in this frequency. I want this. I want that. You may even not, not even know. You might just say, Hey, listen, I want it to sound, you know, that's that jangly sound that, that, uh, so-and-so got on this record kind of looking for that. And I got a telecaster and I want to, you know, that type of thing. So I, I want that for the listeners. I want them to understand that that's something that you don't get when you walk into a place. Cause no matter how many of those things you say, they've only got so many boxes that they can place you in. Exactly. If you don't fit the profile, you know, right. they can't, they can't, they can't help you. Yeah. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to drop a, a name here. There's a, there's a band in Detroit area called the gasoline gypsies. And, um, their lead guitar player's got a blue uh, Pelham blue Gibson Firebird, and I'm not going to give away what's under the hood because he might have entrusted me to secrecy. But he basically came to me with a question. He goes, "I heard this guitar player from the '70s had a Firebird, or he had mini humbuckers, or um, something of that era, but it wasn't what it looked like. It didn't. It didn't look like that. It actually had this underneath. Can you do that?" And I said, well, I don't know. That that would be an experiment. I'm like, I cannot guarantee that it will sound like that did. And I'm, I can't guarantee that 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 would work. And he said, it doesn't matter. I want to try it. So he was patient enough with the design. He said, this is how I want it designed. And I made it happen. And when when he had those pickups put in his guitar, he was floored. He loved it. And um, people heard people heard him play. And next thing you know, I get emails from other people in Detroit. Hey, I saw the the gasoline gypsies play i want what he has in his guitar and i'm like wow that's like something that you know big bands like oh i saw metallica now i want emgs but this is happening at a very uh more local uh level that news is like this band is kind of getting bigger they're playing like the greta van fleet circuit um and uh they uh the people are asking him what he has in his in his guitar and he goes you know great lakes guitar pickups made them for me uh, what are they called he goes just talk to Nick and tell him that you want what I have because there is no name. You know, they're custom made for me. Like every, every pickup I make is a fingerprint. Um, they're just, they're, they're all, they're almost kind of all experiments too, because you base it off of the research, you base it off of what you've done. And like you said, it's just wire and a magnet. So you, you make your best, um, you make your educated, uh, you know, scientific wild ass guess about how it's going to turn out. And after having done this for nine years, um, you know, the, the designs get better and better, but it's, it's just a fingerprint and it's tuned to what you want to hear in your head. So you can't just, like you said, you can't just slap a name on it, put it in a package and sell it on a shelf. It's something that comes from your preferences. Now I'm going to throw a name at you that probably never would have hit you as a guitar hero. So you remember the band REO Speedwagon? Yeah. Yeah. So their, their um, original guitar player passed away. Um, I, I always loved his tone. And um, I always loved uh, 
uh, what's the guy from Ford or um, Mick, Mick Jones, um, his tone. And that, that Les Paul, both of them were using Les Pauls for the time, always been the tone that if, if I was going to replace those with the classic 57s or those, that would definitely be the direction I was going to go. And, um, you know, for me, it was, you remember taking on the run and you've got that oh, yeah. screaming, you know, fast little solo that he does or um, uh, for, for Foreigner, it would definitely be um, the, uh, the solo that they do um, during, uh, and, it's, and it's relatively simple, it's simple stuff, but they, they have such, such cool tone, you know? Mm-hmm. You got that intro to like Long Long Way from Home. You've got all these it, it, classic, classic Les Paul tones that that guy got. Yeah. Um, I think it, of Boston. Yeah, I think of Boston too. But you know? it's so heavily processed. And it's not and that so layered. Yeah. That's the problem I have. When I, if I tried to, to compare to Boston, it would be like, I want it to sound like 14 Les Pauls compressed through a Rockman. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I'm, I, you guys may like Boston, but man, they are so overplayed around here that like I can't. Yeah, they're a Midwest uh, fan for sure. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what about? Okay, I'll tell you another one. Um, and, and I bring this solo up all the time, but I love the guitar solo on it. I mean, the sound on it, the tone on it, and it is a Les Paul. Is um, the Knack my Sharona? Mm. That's a that's a Les through Paul a, through through a Vox. Yep. Through a Vox. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. That's why it's it's got so much high end on it. I hate Vox amps. Um, I, no, I, that sounds so terrible. I don't hate Vox amps. I look. Some of my favorite players love Vox amps. I'm a I'm a huge Brian May fan, <laughs> and um, that just sounds so bad. I hate the but you know some of my favorite players. Yeah, Vox. yeah. No, no. But so so like you were bringing it up the other day. I'm I'm talking about putting together the video for these pickups, and um, we were like, well. I, I, at least in my mind, it's like, I want to show what they sound like through the three common types of amp. So it's like Fender, Marshall, Box, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <coughs> I got the Helix. It's easy enough for me to dial up a tone, but I'm like, who is who has a Vox sound that I really like? Brian May. That, that, that I could do with Strat pickups. <laughs> okay? And uh, you brought Crazy up... a little thing called Love. You could do that solo with yeah. uh, Vox. And yeah. a, no problem. That, was a, that was a telly, wasn't it? That may have know. actually been a strat on their record because uh, yeah, that was around the time where his red special was actually stolen. Uh, so there was a period I, right around that time where the where it was stolen. I know in the video he played a Telecaster. Yeah. So well, like here's here's another thing that you need to consider: the Vox amps that you play today are not the Vox no, amps they are that. Not. <laughs> and if you play a hand wired one, the ones that look kind of like a suitcase, they look really yeah. stupid. Those are the ones that sound good if you don't want to get a vintage one. But it's the same thing with like the Fender, uh, the deluxe reverb reissues and the, all the reissues, like the blackface. If you've ever heard a real one, um, they're, they're not the same. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, I would say the difference is like, like 10 to 20%, but the 10 to 20% really matters. Yeah. One of those things where um, you can't get, so like the reason why Fender doesn't make reissues that are accurate to the original because of, of things like uh what the hell is the sticker that's on everything the uh, there, there are there are rules and limitations by export now <laughs> the epa kind of, yeah what kind and the epa and so like what kind of rules they can or they can violate in order to bring back a faithful reissue 
Yeah. <laughs> now, so the interesting part is, um, you're talking about box. Um, I got some sounds that I really liked, and I actually didn't target Brian May. What I went for was um, Ray Gallagher. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what these clips sound like and what people think of them. But I think I got a pretty close approximation with it, Felix and doing some like Corey Gallagher era stuff. But the crazy thing is all these guys play boxes. Uh, we're using treble boosters, range masters. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So like Brian May and him both were using. Yeah. Range- treble boost. I'm like, this is nuts. Why would you want to put more treble into that thing? By the way, that was a, um, uh, it was one of the few songs, this is from Wikipedia, a uh, crazy little thing called Love. It was one of the few songs where May did not use his homemade red special, instead preferring the sound of a Fender Telecaster for the guitar song. Yeah, that's why I thought wow. it was a Telecaster. It was so I, thought, I thought that was a telly. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I, I have some questions, and they're not necessarily pickup-related questions. Um, so I guess I'll be the one doing that, tracking that solo for the, for the demo. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have to, Jim. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, so you make, you're one of the, the few people that we have on the show, we had a couple others, who make guitar-related products, right? Things that actually affect people's tone. People get super defensive about whether or not pickups affect tone and all those kinds of things. Like, I'm not asking you to weigh in on that. What I'm asking you to weigh in on is the, the idea that tone is in the fingers, like this whole thing that, oh, it's all about who the player is and what they're using doesn't really matter. Comments, thoughts. <laughs> I, share some, I know this is a time bomb question. Yeah. He just threw a grenade into your. <laughs> yeah. But there's, uh, there's an easy answer and there's a, there's a more complex answer. I'll say for um, my nephew who's been playing for less than a year, the tone is not in his fingers. He's, he's learning. He can, um, he can cop styles. If I teach him how to use, how to play a bar chord, like play ACDC, he's going to sound like ACDC, right. but um, it's not the tone that's in his fingers. He's, he's a developing learning guitar player on the other end of that extreme. If uh, you give Joe Bonamassa an Epiphone Les Paul, it's going to sound as good as the 59 that he's playing. He's just not going to enjoy it as much. That's yeah. Okay. I've, that's I've, the short answer. I think, I think that that answer is uh I think it's, uh, let's unpack that for a minute. So if, and I feel like I'm kind of at the point in, in my playing where I've noticed that little, th- like tiny little minutia details make a huge impact. And I'm going to, I'm going to hold up some things to the camera and I'll describe it to the audience. But um, this is a Dunlop prime tone triangle pick um, that, I, that I picked up because this is what I normally use. This is a V pick. Ugh. I and, tried one, didn't like it. All right, so this is a medium triangle. Uh, they call it a P, or that's what's on the uh, stamped into it anyway. And um, I'm not look. I'm not, I, I I'm not committed to V pick at all. Uh, in fact, I have a very similar shape here from Gravity Picks, and I'm not seeing it on my desk right now. Um, and I so the reason why I use these guys is because of the shape. Right? Nobody else I have found makes a medium sized triangle with points um fender they don't it's not a triangle though they got triangle picks don't they not they're big they're yeah like, yeah they're, they're like bigger doritos these these are yeah yeah they're like the santana size oh they're, they're, i thought you meant thickness medium thickness like a chip oh no no these, these are three these are like three millimeters thick man 
Yeah. Just ridiculous. It's like a quarter. Um, and I, I gotten used to playing a thick pick. So like, that's kind of my thing. But, um, the reason why I held up the prime tone was like, I thought maybe I could transition to these, but, but here's the difference. This is rounded. Yeah. This is pointed. I cannot play with these. I cannot. Isn't that crazy? I'd love to hear you like do a demo where you do um, the same, like a, um, not a legato, but a completely picked, no legato line. Well, and that's the funny thing. Like when I play these, nobody can tell, like, they're like, oh, you know, you're, you're fine. Like there's nothing wrong, but I can feel like I don't see precision in my fingers at all. And it feels just like sloppy. And that's like, um, I cannot play now without these damn things. Right. Jazz three. Jazz threes. Okay. Yeah. And these are the, um, these are the, uh, what's his name signature, Eric Johnson or whatever. And I have some of the um, Petrucci signatures. Now I'm going to tell you a little story about my jazz threes. These are thick picks, right? Yeah. I grip these so hard that literally the ones you could tell which ones I've been using for a while. Oh, cause I, cause, cause I, no. I bend them. Yeah. You bend. I bend them right in cause I play them like this. So, I pushed shit out of these things. Um, I'll, show you, Nick I'll, show you, I'll show you what I keep in my wallet. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, I keep another one in my wallet, but go ahead. This is yeah. a jazz three. And I took the liberty of taking a drill press through it. I, yeah, I do that too. And yep. it makes it so much more grippy. Yep. Um, it's great. You know, I, I played with a guy at a blues gig in Detroit. A nice Nice. There's holes in that one too. Yep. There was a dude, um, he wanted to sit in with us and I'm like, well, I'll just take a break, man. You don't have to sit in with me. You can just take it over. I'll just take a break. And he plugged into my, my amp. And, uh, when he was done, I walked up to the amp and there was 50 cents on the amp. I'm like, did he tip me or something? No, he stole your pick. No, he plays with quarters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think- and he put, he put a couple quarters on the amp in case he dropped his, but he just like Brian Mape, uh, Brian May no. made his own picks. He made, I've done that before too. Well, Brian May, so he he plays. Of course, he mods it a little bit, but he plays with like a, a coin from Italy or a something. Six, yeah, sixpence. Yeah, sixpence. They yeah. actually they opened the mint. They opened the mint. They and they to, yeah, expenses specifically for him with his for face. Him. Wow. Yeah. That that because they don't make sixpence anymore as a legal tender, so they had to. It pays to be the queen's favorite. Yeah, it does pay to have the queen's <laughs> queen. Yeah. Um, but I used to play these right all the time. Me too. Dunlop with the powder, with the powder on them and stuff. Yep. With the powder, yep. and then when, once the here. powder's gone, whoosh, gone. Um, that's what I drill holes in them for. Yep. Nice. Because so I'm cheap. I I started, you know, obviously the different colors. Yeah, the blue one. So, yep. I started with the with this one, went to the blue one, and then I went to the Jazz Dunlops. Now the, the reason I I still have these around. And I still buy them. These are still powder coated. Can't tell on the in this lighting, but um, the reason that I keep them around is because for really wide, jangly, like chord stuff, where I'm playing like crazy little thing called love, for example, I would use one of these because mm-hmm. I like to have a little more because um, I I don't want to hold it like tightly. I kind of just jangle it. Well, to get- so it's more this than this, and yet when I switch to the solo. I'll literally throw this and grab it pull, up. Pull the other one off. I got that thing on the mic stand. I'll pull the other one. So it goes, bro, grab. For my kiss gigs, I've got, I've got like Detroit rock city kiss tribute picks with a 
a star on one side for Star Child and then the name of the band on the other. So I've learned that when I'm playing Kiss tunes, I'm not using the Jazz 3. I'm using the bigger, it's like a regular um, Delrin white white pick that's like yep. medium heavy. And um, I throw those out like candy. Yep. It's, it's just part of the show. And I've just kind of learned it's like driving manual or driving automatic. You know, yeah. for, for me, um, like a Jazz 3 is like driving manual and the, the bigger Delrin pick is like driving automatic. Yep. Yeah. So, but my, my point is to get back, to get back to what I was originally trying to say, which is that, yeah, these are, these are really insignificant things like the shape of a pick. But I mean, this is a deal breaker for me. I can't, yeah. I literally cannot play over, stu- over stupid little things. And even like the feel of an amplifier, if it's not spongy enough, I'm like, I, I feel lost. I feel like I don't connect with it. And it's to the point where um, it, it's kind of alarming to me because I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that point in my life where like I played enough guitar that I'm, I'm now I have these preferences that are like deep seated. Um, I think that speaks to what Nick was talking about earlier. If you take a, a, a beginner or a relative beginner, um, you know, beginner to be intermediate, a player that's only been playing for a while, hasn't really developed a quote unquote taste for these things. It's just like wine. You know, yeah, you'll as, play with anything and try to make it work and you're going to try to make it work. But at some point you, you get into that groove and that groove is what, what makes you, you, and it what makes your sound, your sound. I'm playing these pentatonic riffs, right? In this book by Tom Kolb and I'm playing them over and over. There are some, I cannot play his way. I just can't do it because I play them like me and I'm like, I can't play that like that. That doesn't make any sense to me. The way you're voicing that, the way you're phrasing it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to do it like this. And so where he puts a bend, I might do a slide or where he puts a slide, I might do a bend or he puts a double stop. I might put a, it's just the weirdest stuff that, that even as many times, and I'm doing it to practice sight reading. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to force myself to do exactly what's in front of me. And I find myself struggling with that. Well, David said, you know, the question was, is, is tone in your fingers? And if one of your hands is holding one of those picks, well, that's your new finger. So right. you can have a lot of different fingers. Like you said, I've got two different picks. Those are two different fingers. The tone is, is, is going to be in those picks if you're um, at that level of playing. And if you can hear it, um, the people in the crowd aren't going to hear it. But if you hear it yourself and that makes you more confident, you're going to play better. Yeah, it speaks to your... Um... Yeah, your level of confidence. And, okay, let's go from the pick to the strings. Now we're at the strings. I, ever since I've switched to Diderio NYXLs, I just don't feel comfortable playing other strings. That's yeah, cool. I'm the same way. Like, I, I, and I actually, I like DRs, and I was that way about DRs before. And when I switched to NYXLs, like, I wanted to puke for the first six weeks or something I had them, and then... Once I went through a couple sets, I was like, okay, now I can do this. And then everything worked. But I, I used to that. love DRs. Yep. They got really inconsistent for me, which is why I uh, kind of backed out. So I just got a set of String Joy. Okay. And I did a custom set of String Joy uh, strings. And uh, they're basically the. Uh, somebody asked Joe Bonamassa what his set was. And it was like 11 through 5 2. But the the B string and I think the the D string was different than what would come on a normal eleven through five two set. So I ordered kind of what he used. 
um, even though I'm, I, my tuning is a D standard for the Kiss tribute. And I put it on my Flying V with my pickups in it. And I liked String Joy pickups a lot better than Dunlop pickups. I liked it better than the Diodario pickups. They felt you, better. You mean, you mean strings. strings? Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I'm sorry. I said pickups. <laughs> my brain is just. Yeah. His brain is yeah. fried, and that clearly he wants to make us more pickups. Yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, but the String Joy, better than Dunlop, better than DR, better than uh, Diodario. Um, for me, uh, Ernie Ball strings are kind of ubiquitous. They're they're just like breathing air to me. They're like water. It's They're just kind of everywhere, so they're kind of a, a standard. Um, but the String Joy feels like it's a level above in terms of feel and the springiness, the, the, the bendiness of it. Um, I just really liked them. I actually... We, Can you we, see up there? Is a string joy, and then it says NYXL the rest of the way. All right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the nail in the coffin. This is something we can talk about. I'm gonna put the nail in the coffin on the uh, string challenge at this point. Yeah. I just don't want to take the time to edit the clips. If you guys want the clips, I'll send you the logic file. I'll post it somewhere. Somebody in the group asked me. I'll do it. If somebody wants to organize them, you're more than welcome to. Um, I. What I, did you find? What was your results? All right. So we we, we shot out. Five strings. Yes. Ernie balls were shit. Big surprise. I couldn't stand them. Um, that well, I, they were the low end Ernie balls. But I yeah. could not wait to get them what, off. The guitar. What, what guitar did you use first of all? Okay, so everything was done on my uh, USA GNL S five hundred, which is hanging right next to me that you cannot see. And I, um, I only ask because I've I have different preferences for Gibson and Fender esque guitars. Oh, they, no, and I could totally see that. And I could, I mean, like I could see Ernie balls working better on shorter scales and things like that. Um, mm. So I had, I shot out NYXLs, we did Ernie Ball, we did String Joy, we did um, Gabriel Tenorio Custom Strings, and um, since, since we're going to, I'll just do the reveal right now, um, it, from, from best, in my opinion, to, to worst, I probably would say NYXLs and String Joys were like neck and neck. I would say Ernie Balls were at the bottom of the crop. Um, the Gabriel Tenorio Custom Strings like, did basically nothing for me. Um, and, and wore out fast, um, which is something that a lot of people had said, like, oh, no, they stay good forever. Uh, what was the other? Did we do another set, Jim? No. Ernie Ball? No, I think it was just four. I think it was those four. Those four. Um, then we were going to do three. We were going to do three. We were going to look at a hot, a super high-end set. So the Gabriel Tenorio custom strings, if you didn't know, they're like handmade strings, Nick. They, mm-hmm. the, the guy literally hand-winds them without a machine. He does it by his, in between his fingers. Um, and he, he actually makes a lot of like nylon strings and stuff like that Oh, okay. for people who, and I specifically for people who play like, you know, the, um, mariachi like that. Um, and so I kind of really wanted to like his product. I know, I know Gabriel Tenorio, uh, from Facebook groups and stuff like, uh, and I just, I don't think it's worth the 25 bucks a set. He charges. I would rather, I mean, I would rather go to Stringjoy and get two sets. Yeah. And well, now you have to do that with the acoustic strings. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll throw this out there. The acoustic I, strings are a big deal. Yeah. I used to use um, Elixir acoustic strings because they did last longer and I'm really lazy about changing acoustic strings. Right, right. But then I bought Clear Tone, uh, Clear Tone brand uh, strings. And those things are awesome. They don't feel like, they're coded strings. They last a long time and they sound 
like regular phosphor bronze strings. So I would highly recommend clear tone acoustic strings. Yeah, if I had a decent acoustic guitar, I would definitely be down to do that challenge. But I so much of an electric player that the only acoustic I have is like a $300 Ibanez acoustic. It's probably mm-hmm. worth like 80 bucks now. I was one of the I was one of the quote unquote beta testers for um, elixirs way back. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Believe me, it wasn't because I was a great player. It was just I got randomly picked out of a bunch of people. Anyway, um, so I I was playing a lot of acoustic gigs. I was playing three to four nights a week acoustic gigs and you know these little places in upstate New York. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> um, elixirs for me. Uh, they wore out fast. I, I had that plastic was flying all over the place. I, yeah. I hated them, hated them, hated them, hated them. My friend was playing them on a Martin B18. I was playing them on a Takamini, um, uh, Garth Brooks signature Takamini. Um, and I just wasn't impressed. I, 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 I was okay with them, but I wasn't impressed. Now I, I went through just recently, I went through the same thing with the paradigms. I broke two paradigm strings. I don't break strings. I broke mm. paradigm strings. A friend of mine, same thing. Now we were both using Les Pauls, um, had the same problem. Now when it comes to the the string challenge, um, I have exact, almost exactly the same feel that David had with his. Which I, we did this so blind, we didn't even tell each other which strings we were using when. Um, so I started um, this out with String Joy. Then I went to um, NYXLs. Then I went to to uh, um, the Gabriel Tonello, to, to, I, I never said it right. And then uh, the GTs. And then I went to um, uh, the Ernie Balls. So I, what I found was I liked the string joys. I really liked them. Um, and uh, I, I talked to a couple of people and they said, maybe I should give them a call because I, I go through a lot of strings. I don't know if you see how many packs are up there. But that's just for tomorrow. I, I go through maybe a dozen packs of strings, uh, a quarter, maybe more. Um, so I'm throwing out a lot of a lot of metal, um, and I just put brand new strings on that one. That one's got an NYXLs on it. Um, so I'll go through strings uh, constantly. <clears throat> There's two things that have to happen for me. Number one is is they have to be good, and number one they have to have a price point that I can afford. To, to buy as many as I do up front. So, cause I'll buy uh, 20 packs of strings. So, um, so I'm buying a box um, or two at a time. So when I, when I go to buy uh, strings, I want them to be comfortable and I want them to last and I want them to have the tone I like. String Joy and NYXLs were the only two of those sets that I, I said, okay, that's worth the, worth the price and it's worth the, uh, the effort. And How long do you want them to last? Me? Yeah. Um, uh, I only expect two to three weeks out of them. I have to have the tone for two to three weeks. But remember, I'm playing, I'll play four to six hours some days. Uh, and if I've got a gig, um, I do a four hour gig. So you're talking in two weeks, they're getting what? That's six. Uh, let's say, let's say the shortest, let's say four times two weeks and seven days a week. So, and it's not because the, the guitar string is losing tone. It's because I start feeling that change in the string. Yeah. Have you ever played the strings? 
Have you ever played the Kurt Mangan strings? No, no. You know what those are? Yeah. Yeah, I've never played those either, but they seem to come up a bit on the interwebs. Yeah. Um, all right. So there's another company that I've heard of before, and I don't think they're around. I think they're defunct. There was a guy, uh, he writes for Vintage Guitar Magazine, and he had this, a string company called Snake Oil Strings, and they were like another $20, $22 set um, string. And, of course, they were, they were the same nickel recipe that was used in the 19, you know, famous guitar players' guitars. Um, he claimed that, you know, he could, he was listening to vinyl and he could hear the differences in guitar on vinyl. And I'm like, I don't find vinyl. Because I'll be honest with you, and this is why I want to talk about the string challenge. We AB tested these. We recorded it. Jim, I don't know how your sample sounded, but you literally could not hear a difference on most. Nope. Most of them, I couldn't hear a single difference. It was all about feel. It really yeah. was. I, the only difference I had is like the NYXLs and the string joys are really bright. Yep. Everything else was kind of like medium. Um, yep. When they wore out, they were slightly darker. Uh, but it was so inconsequential that I was almost just kind of taken aback because I, I used DRs years ago and I'd done a same, I'd done the same test. My wife can attest to this because she heard the samples. Um, I did the same test with three different brands or three different types of DRs. And I was using the nickel and the regular, you know, tight fit and then um, their pure, pure blues or whatever. Mm. And they oh, yeah. were drastically different. And I swore off playing like the old nickel strings. Like the remember, I was blue like, there's steel? no way I'll never do it again. Yeah, Diodario Blue Steel. Yeah, I remember Diodario cryogenically blue. frozen, cryogenically created Megadeth. It was, it was, it was Terminator was playing this. I about just spit my water out my nose because of the Megadeth combat. <laughs> Dave Mustaine plays Blue Voodoo Crate Amps and he, Blue he Steel does. by Dean Markley. You know, he's one of those Markley, guys that, that like it. he would totally endorse anything you put in his hands. But like I, I could see David Bustay doing it, doing an ad for Pepsi, like that would not surprise me one bit. He's an incredibly talented player, but he's got you know he's obviously got his personal demons. But I just laugh <laughs> because he does not get the credit he deserves as a guitar player. You know, I read his autobiography, and he was going to do guitar for a commercial, and he sat down with the producer and everything, and he said, "Well, we're going to play something that we want you to to you know play in a kind of in the style of." And they turned on Enter Sandman. And he just stood up and walked out. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> like, no idea. No. He was talking about being trolled. Holy yeah. shit. It's, it's in his books where to got it happen. So he's, um, <laughs> I, I, the reason, because I, I, I was learning peace cells this week and I was just like kind of going through all the, and it's not, look, it's not the guitar playing. Like anybody can play peace cells, but it's the way it's layered. And when you start realizing how much of that is actually Dave Mustaine. Yeah. On, like and not um Marty Friedman. Was no, it Marty Friedman or Chris Poland? Friedman on that was Chris Poland. Yeah. Um and I just kind of sat there and shook my head. I was like, I know Chris is a great guitar player, but holy crap, like the all the layering and like the very because I always thought like, oh well, it's like uh Metallica, you know, where where um Kirk Hammett plays all the solos. It's not like that in Megadeth. No. And it's really kind of surprising that it's not that way. But that's why I, I just always get that. He's a lot more talented. He has a, he has a wacky way of moving his chords too. Oh yeah. yeah. The, his his hammer-ons and stuff. 
Yeah, it's called his, like spider spider bar yeah, chords or something. Spider yeah. bar chords that yeah. he uses, where he'll he'll use his ring pinky and then use his middle um, uh, yeah. his index um, ring and then mm-hmm. middle pinky, and, has, and so he'll do that spider thing. It's the weirdest freaking. It's yeah, just dude. incredible, and it makes for speed of moving. I I knew I had a guy that uh, <clears throat> was showing me that style of playing back, you know, twelve years ago, fifteen years ago. Anyway, he was a real good player, real fast. I said, "How the hell do you move around your power chords like that?" And he goes, "Oh, Dave Mustaine style." I said, "Dave Mustaine, what are you talking about?" And he says, uh, "You know, he's got that spider thing. That's what he called it, the spider chord." And when he played it, I was like, "Wow, that is fucking fast." I mean, just. The first time I learned how he did, like how he he puts together his chord structures. So he's moving a half step; it's a hammer on. He literally hammers yeah. on the whole chord. So he yeah. his index and ring for everything. His power chords are always two notes, and yep. then he'll and then he'll hammer on a whole chord. And he can do it like just interchangeably, like every other note would be a different chord. And it, I mean, and then of course, then he can then he can swap to different strings too, which makes it even worse. Which is what you're talking about, the spider. Yeah, thing. the spider thing. But. I just I, I saw him do it the first time and I went, this guy has too much time on his hands. Cause like I I would just use it lateral motion. Even if he <laughs> look like I'm jerking off the guitar. It's like it's lateral motion. <laughs> look like. Um so fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he is incredible, incredible player. Um okay, so we move from strings and now we move to the guitar itself. We move into the guitar. And and we've really only touched on on so small of a level of tone. I think that what what people forget is it's not that tone is in your fingers; it's your style is in your fingers. I think I've spoken to that before. This is my take on it: is that um, when you play and and you you do things, we all react like you were talking about. Somebody might not hear the difference in you using one pick or another. Yeah, but you feel. I do. You feel yeah. it. And yeah. because you, and if your confidence is shook at all, it affects yep. you as a player and then the performance sucks. And then that's how oh. they know. I've done it to myself yeah. so many times. I got in my head and I go, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do it. And I can't do it. I remember like my first gig ever when I was in college and we're going to this place and I checked like 5,000 times to make sure I had the pick that I, that I rehearsed with, you know, like I have to have <laughs> that pick. And if I don't have that pick, I'm going to have to borrow a pick and, like the gig's just not going to go off right unless I have my pick, you know, like it was important to me. It wasn't almost like a superstition. Yeah. Unless I have my pick, it's not going to go off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like a baseball player that isn't wearing the right set of socks. It's the reason when I go into an open mic that I'm like bewildered because I'm like, I'm plugging into somebody else's amp. Like, what is this going to be like? But that's what, that's what some of the pros will talk about when they're like, when they feel like their sound has gotten, um, you know, uh, has reached this thing, this, this plateau, they'll say, okay, I, I purposely went in and I used this crappy guitar through this shitty amp in this, you know, uh, I forced them to put a monkey on my back and feed them sandwiches over yeah. my head while I was doing it because I wanted to be thrown off my game because I wanted that. I, was, I, I don't know. I, what do you guys think of that? I mean, is that something that, for you, is that what you do to yourself? Like some people say, change the tuning on guitar. I'm like, I'm going to change the tuning on my guitar. I don't want to be thrown off that much. The but only I- reason why I own a guitar other than a Les Paul is because I want to have 
different challenges, different tones. Like I, I love beating on a Fender Strat every now and then, but I like to finesse a Les Paul You're every now and then. Too. I've seen some you know, clips. it's one of those things. But uh, go back to your point with recording artists. Do you guys like Stone Temple Pilots? Yeah. The the oh, the, yeah. the the DeLeo brothers, right? When they recorded um, Tiny Music from the Vatican Gift Shop, yep. um, was it Robert? Who's who's the guitar player? Robert or Dean? I don't remember. Well, uh, either way, um, uh, he has this very exquisite collection of uh, vintage Dan Electro and K guitars, and he prided himself while recording that Tiny Music, the one with a uh, Bing Bang Baby on it and everything, um, yeah. Lady Picture Show, and Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart. Uh, he recorded that entire album, no humbuckers and no uh, Fender single coils. It was all lipstick tubes and like weird <laughs> Sears, Sears and Roebuck pickups. And um, he would pull off a solo and the producer would be like, all right, now double it. He's yeah. like, you want me to double that solo? And like, he would have to double it. And he's playing these old like bullhorn Dan Electro guitars and the old like... Um, D3s or whatever, like what Jimmy Page kind of played, that Dan yeah, Electro, yeah, yeah. and the one that kind of looks like a Les Paul, but they're like lipstick tube pickups, just really weird stuff. And yeah. it, the album sounded amazing. Yeah. But that's how we, how we chanted the short-scale student grade, you yeah. know, mass-produced, Chicago area, Sears and Roebuck, mass-production, American-made, vintage. You know, I, I'm in Chicago, and I, I have to laugh, because so many of those guitars came from this area, because of the Sears and Roebuck connection and all that. Yeah. Falco was here. Um, and like, you never see Valco's in like on Craigslist or anything. I mean, you see them in Chicago music exchange places like that, but a lot of their guitars don't come from this area. So you just kind of run into them like every once in a while, but I'm just shocked that there are not more of them here than there are. Living in Michigan, I was hoping the same for the Kalamazoo Gibson connection, but yeah, really. Yeah. I don't see very many. Yeah. He's like, hey, that's the whole reason he moved there. He's like, exactly. Yeah. He's like, all right. So yeah, it was Dean. I always remembered Dean because of Dean Guitars. His, his name was Dean. But yeah, Dean DeLeo. Yeah, yep, DeLeo. Let's not um, talk about Dean Zelinsky while we're at it. Let's just let's just avoid that. No. Dean Zelinsky. <laughs> um, Dean's here. another guy that was accused of uh, beating his wife and stuff. Yeah, that would surprise me. In in a divorce uh, claim, but I don't know. Yeah. Well. Um, so so now we've got the guitar. We got the pickups. Obviously, we've we've spoken a lot about the pickups, um, but there's something that goes with the pickups that a lot of people don't think about, and that's the that's the rest of the electronics. And I'm not getting too much into the wiring. Yeah, you should have decent wiring. They don't mean shit. No, I'm kidding. Wiring. But pots make a difference. Yeah, I'm talking I, about it. Pots yeah. and in Gibson's, what era wiring you have? Right. I mean, there's a huge yeah. between 50s wiring and modern Gibson wiring. But you know what? I've I've heard. I've heard studies and I've not read them, but I'd like to read them about the capacitors, how oil and paper capacitors in a guitar is just, um, bullshit, uh, posturing. I suspect, I suspect that, that is a value is a value, whether it's the green cap or the orange cap or the paper and oil cap or the, the value, the value is what matters and nothing else. Yeah. I, 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 I could ask that question because my daughter, that's what she does for a living. She builds capacitors. And uh, so she works with capacitor engineers on a daily basis. So I could ask that question about those because you've never asked her. No, I never thought all, all these years you've known her and you've never asked her about capacitor, the quality. Well, my daughter, but she's only yeah, I've known <laughs> her since she's been there for a few years. <laughs> I yeah. knew she was graded. Um, um, oh my god, so, you were there for that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I hope so. My wife's got some explaining to do, but um, no, I. 
uh, I never thought about it. I, I have so many engineers at the other end of my uh, on the other end of my rope where I can ask them about that that type of because again that's that that age old question is you know pots are pots or are they and are capacitor capacitors or are they I know that when when um, I can tell you this that that uh, even in capacitors outside of the musical industry okay um, the the finest most minutial details we we went down to where we we used electron microscopes to look at the carbon that we used that's how specific it is and that's how perfect it has to be for certain applications so i'm not actually i wouldn't actually be surprised to have an engineer tell me you're right that that the oil the paper all the other stuff makes a huge difference i wouldn't be surprised at all because it it also comes down to this. There's a lot of environmental factors that come into play when it comes to um, capacitors. A lot of environmental factors. You'd be surprised. I was. I was shocked. Yeah, like uh, like heat and all that. But on the flip side of that, the guitar is yeah. such a is such a flawed instrument. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. tuning in terms of fretting, intonation. So the impact of a capacitor on a guitar design that's already inherently flawed might not have that same impact. I I, can, I don't know whether it's whether whether it would be an audible thing though. Like yeah, you know, we kind of think right. like a cap being like a filter, where where you know in this idea that it filters certain certain frequencies out of the guitar. And usually that's I mean when you're when you're talking about tone, you know the tone cap and that kind of that's basically what you're doing. But right. I I would be I would be hesitant to think that the different styles of capacitor would have like different uh, filtering properties. I mean, like one has one has a steeper Q than the other in in terms of like a like a um, a board EQ, you know, where you right. have a parametric with you know a Q setting. Like, oh well, the paper and oil has a higher Q, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I I I doubt it's something like that. I would think it would be more something like dynamics, where there's more leakage from a paper and oil cap versus. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just well, I'm just I'm positing a theory that. That's well, I mean, all right, all right. So obviously, the purpose of a capacitor is what? It's to hold taper off the high end. Yeah, taper well, off the high end in the guitar circuit. Yes, right. So if you're looking at it that way, um, you're going to have to figure out. Um, so, is it like this, or is it like this, or is it you know, or and is it at this point of the wave, or is it at this point of the wave, or this point of the wave? That's the only thing I could think that maybe, and and I I know those old caps were dirt. When I say dirty, the outputs were dirty, and so they weren't like a, a real clean wave. It was really kind of right. a lot of harmonics on it. And I think that's where the the whole thing falls apart when you start talking about stuff like people will say, "Well, this is just as good as that," or whatever, because you start to talk about the fact that guitar is all about overtone. You you said yourself when you were talking about the um, pickup things, you know, it's I'm hearing that overtone that wasn't, you know, here or there. So it's all about overtone. Um, and so now we get to the cables. That is the biggest piece, piece the of snake oil to me. And you make cables, though. Nick. I will say no. I, I will disagree with you there, Jim. Now, see, there you go. All right. All right. And no. I disagree with Jim, too, because I'm going to be honest with you. Jim buys the shittiest cables known to man. And his logic behind it is just hilarious. 
You buy okay, you buy ahead. the bargain basement cables that you can get. At, oh, for practicing, of course. They're sick. They're hanging right there. Oh, he's like now. He's like he's like for practicing. Bullshit. No, I have for for use. This is a um, Curlin Premium. Oh, I would fuck? take thirty five dollars for a thirty five dollars for a cable is not much. Yeah, it's not much, but it's better than than the um, and the five dollar XLR gear. So here's <laughs> yeah. so here's a like rock and roll history. Um, Jimi Hendrix. Stratocaster, Marshall Stack, Curly Q, Guitar right. Chord. Yep. Uh, Rory Gallagher, Voxamp, Super Bright, Stratocaster, yep. Curly Q. Those Curly Q um, guitar chords I, are I like, imagine. they say that they're like 50 feet, but they're really only like 10 or 12 feet because of all the coils. Yeah. What those coils do is it tapers off the high end. So you can take a, a single coil guitar with a Curly Q chord and put it through a bright amp and it's suddenly not as bright. There is a another pickup winder named Dylan, and um, Dylan does video podcasting a lot. And uh, Dylan Merkel, I think his name is, mm-hmm. but um, he makes guitar cable just like I do, and he buys them in like a five hundred foot roll of guitar cable. Yeah. And as, as a test, what he did was he plugged, he soldered a, a quarter inch plug to both sides, and he plugged it in, and then he took like a twenty foot cable and plugged it in. And the 500-foot guitar cable sounded like his guitar with the tone on zero. And yep. then the 20-foot the cable sounded like his guitar on 10, or uh, with the tone on 10. So the, the longer the cable, the, the more high-end taper. So it makes sense that if you're in the studio and you want a very pristine sound, to use the shortest cable possible. Yep. I, I also wager that the amount of metal or the amount of wire inside the guitar cable it's just going to give you better tone. Like if you're going to drink a milkshake through a coffee straw, you're going to have a really hard time doing it. But if you're going to drink it with like a straw from Seven Eleven, it's going to be a lot easier to drink that milkshake. So um, having yeah. having a, a better pipe to transmit that is always going to give you a better sound. Now I'm not I'm not saying I'm an electrical engineer. Okay, that's uh, I'm not because I don't have my EE, but I do have a lot of electrical background, waveguide, radio frequencies. Um, you know, wire, all kinds of stuff. And I know that when it comes to certain cable and it comes to certain gauges, I talk standing waves with the best of them all day long. Okay. I understand that, um, you know, that's why you can have a 20 foot dipole antenna. that's only this big, you know, it's actually, you know, if you had all the stuff, you know, um, that's why it's effectively this, you know, 20 feet, so on and so forth. Um, when it comes to the cable, um, the, and it's always this, this comes back to what I was talking about. If I was going to do a studio thing, like I have certain cables here at home, like this one right here, this braided current cable, this, this isn't super expensive. It's also not super cheap. Um, I buy certain cables for recording purposes because those are the ones that I want a better thing with. I have certain cables that are, that are coiled up. And they sit in a gig bag and they go nowhere else because they go to the gig and they come home. Because I also know that there are environmental factors that can affect the cable um, and so on and so forth. So I get that. I'm just saying that you're not going to convince me that there is directional cable unless you somehow build a capacitance into the cable. So, or I should say inductor into the cable so that it's, it's if it, well, yeah, capacitance. Because now you've built it in a capacitor. It's going to work well this way. 
to work like shit this way. That's the way a capacitor works, you know? It's, yeah. When, when, I, when I make guitar cables, there's print that says instrument cable. And the, the words instrument cable go in a direction. And from what I've heard with other things of cable, that the direction of the print is the direction of the signal. So I, I make a guitar cable with Neutrik silent plugs, like those red, they're like $15 plugs. And yeah, when yeah. you unplug, they're really great for open mics. When you unplug the guitar, it doesn't make the amp crackle or anything. So right. I put that on the eye and instrument side, and then I put a regular plug at the end. So um, it follows the right direction of the reading and the quote unquote direction of the signal. Even though you can hook it up backwards, like you're saying, and it'll work, and to most ears it'll sound just fine, there are people that claim that they can hear a difference if they plug a guitar cable in backwards. I, I cannot, but for sake of building cables, I like to do it in the quote-unquote proper direction. Now, I could, it, this would not be snake oil, I could believe that if over time, if you're using the cable in the same direction all the time, it would start to... Right, polarized. And I then that, I could believe, would start to say, okay, now I should start looking at it directionally because it's always going to be in that direction. Well, now we're getting down the rabbit hole, right? Because honestly, like, if you can't hear a difference, I mean, I don't think about which way I'm plugging my cables in. And I have been pretty, like, picky with this kind of shit before. I, yep. I have to imagine that we're splitting hairs at this point and worrying about things that really are just infinitesimal. We talked about this on the show before, this idea that we as guitar players tend to be the, the one person in the band that everybody looks at and they're like, what are you worried about? Yeah, you are a nutcase. What are yeah. you obsessing over? <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're sitting there talking about brands of strings and stuff and they're like, just put some strings on it. Like, that was the problem. Or uh, as you're talking about cables. You think keyboard players give a shit about what cable they're plugging into their keyboard? Mm-hmm. I've never heard them like other than reliability then right. to be like, why are you, you know, why would you buy a $500 cable? Like, and, and we do, there are guitar players that buy $200 cables. Yeah. No, that's not necessary. But at, at this, at the same time, like when I, when I, and I kind of, I kind of come from sports. So in sports, you say like how you practice is how you play. And they also say like, look good, look good, play good. Right. And, um, you know, like the, you know, uh, a game is won or lost before it's even played. So I, I translate a lot of that sporting mentality into guitar playing. And if I can practice and if I can concentrate on the little details, those are things that I feel are going to put me ahead of other guitar players. And if that means putting all of my instrument cable in the proper reading direction, including my patch cables and the cable that connects my head to the extension cabinet with speaker cable uh, going in the same direction, then that's another, it's another brick in my, in my foundation to build a confident guitar tone, even though it has no significance whatsoever. I might look at another guitar player and I'm like, I wonder if he's doing that, even though it doesn't matter. It's, it's something that I feel confident in doing because I'm looking at my details. And I, I agree a lot of, especially bass players, drummers, they're not very detail oriented, but it's, maybe it's my anal retentiveness or my competitiveness or whatever. But, you know, I like to, if there's something that can be massaged or polished or whatever, like I yeah. want to try it. Sure. Sure. I could totally see like the whole, like, cause I, you know, I was doing the year no gear thing. I've obviously failed, but like going through that. Not as badly as I did. 
Oh, yeah. I did. <laughs> um, going through that procedure and looking at what you're doing and kind of like backing off and being like, okay, um, I, I, I have only these five items to work with. How do I get the absolute most out of the five items I have? Right. And that I get. Like that's, you're not turd polishing at that point. You're making the most of what you have. No. And I, and I do, I do know that when I practice like, okay, so I tend to use the same practice cables um, when I practice because the 90 degree end goes on a guitar and the um, straight end goes into the amp. So I always get the right way because the two ends are completely different. Um, now, of course, if I had a fender, I'd be all fuckered up because then, or at least a strat, because I'd have to stick that 90 degree in there and it'll work. Um, you can make it work. I use my 90 degree plug on my. All right, so I want to throw a, I want to throw a, uh, I want to throw a store under the bus right now. Yeah. Um, okay. so Guitar Center, uh, <laughs> oh, bless shit. their, bless their heart. Um, they have Mogami Gold Series instrument cable, uh, yeah. three feet, so 36 inches. Yes. Forty dollars. Yep. I can buy Mogami gold instrument cable for like that, that length for like three bucks. And that that's exactly what I do. And the, the plugs on them are like three or $4 a piece. So I could sell you the $40 cable for like 12 or 15 bucks. Um, I usually charge, I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm paying per foot, but I usually charge per foot. And then depending on, how anal retentive you are about plugs. If you want a Neutrik plug, or if you want a GLS plug, um, you know, I just mark it up a little bit for my time, but it's going to be the cheapest cable that you ever get. And it's going to be just as good as what you could find in a store. So, I mean, they, they charge so much just for the name, like Mogami. It's like the Harley Davidson of, you know, of guitar cables. So they're going to charge you a premium price. I'm not going to do that. I like Gothic cable. That's all. Yeah, I've got like three different kinds. There's a Detroit guitar cable that I sell called uh, My Star Sound. That's really good. Uh, Brett Michaels uses it, and I think uh, a metal band uses. I forget which metal band uses it. But um, well, if Brett Michaels uses it. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But does Chad Kroger use it? That's the question. No. If Chad Kroger does it. Does that even matter, Jim? No. Yeah. So I do Gotham. Uh, I do Gotham wire, and I do Mogami wire, and then I do the Four Star wire which is the MyStar Sound stuff. And a, um, I did a, a YouTube video for the Four Star Wire, and the company actually noticed me and sent me a, a thank you for comparing them to Mogami. And I said, and they said, how can we thank you? And I said, well, send me some, some cables to test. And they sent me a couple uh, cables to test. So they're pretty very, cool. Very cool. Gotham, Gotham, because I'm a Batman fan, I'd probably That's part of the reason why yeah. I like it, honestly. It's no, cool. actually, I have, um, I have this sinusoid cable. Um, and they don't sponsor our show or anything. And, uh, you know, we don't do sponsorship, but, um, <laughs> I have this guy and this is Gotham cable. And I actually ordered this specifically for that SG because uh -huh. like, the most trouble I could possibly get out of it. Um, now that has a 90 degree silent plug on it, right? Yep. Does the collar stick? No, it does not. Really? Nope. Because I've had two of those 90 degree angle uh, Neutrik silent plugs and the cutoff is like a little magnetic collar. And um, whenever I use it, it doesn't pop back out. It, it stays stuck in. And really? I, I don't like to sell those because of it. Yeah, th these work great. I don't know whether they had like a bad batch or 
Um, you know, the one thing I don't like about the silent plug is that it, it seems like at certain guitars, if it's not in the like in a certain way, you, if you bump the cable, it'll make a noise. It's hmm. really weird. It's almost like the cable's microphonic. So um, for for one of the months, and this is kind of a profiting for the future, but I would like to um, do a monthly sweepstake instead of doing pickups to do uh, some of my cables. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, we're down. Great. I think it's easier to shoot out for us too, honestly. Yeah, yeah um, very easy. Then I can I'll get a set of musicians' gear because those are super cheap. Get a set of musicians' gear, cables. If you don't have some already, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> pull out the drawer. Some of the mid cables, and I've got the Fender cables I have, and then the, uh, you know. So I have some Spectraflex cables. Have you ever used them, Nick? Um, I used them back in the '90s, but I uh, I can order TechFlex, and I can put TechFlex around uh, Mogami. I can put it around the the Gotham oh, yeah. stuff, or yeah, yeah. And I, I like to do that actually. Anybody, anybody TechFlex? I've yeah. I, I, I ordered some, but uh, I was I was asking uh, because uh, I've used some of their stuff before. And they they're local. So if you never seen them. Um, I think they're, they're here in Illinois, uh, somewhere. You know, I remember. So you you talked about the the coily cable. I remember growing up, coily cable was the thing. So I obviously I I started playing in the six late sixties, and, and I was playing more in the seventies. And it's funny because you mentioned that because it brought me back to my my first few guitar cables, and I fucking hated those things. So there's there's two things I learned about the coily cables. Number one, they're a pain in the dick. But number two, <laughs> and more importantly, was the, was the trick to take the cable, run it once around my strap, then into the guitar, yeah. so that the cable wouldn't pull oh, out. Wow. And then the second one was back at the amp, bring it through the handle of the amp. Yeah, <laughs> I do that anyway for all my stuff. I do, I do that anyway. Yeah, even for modern cables, I do that because but if you walk too far... Now for, in the, no, in the, the 90s, the I, end, I still do that because that's weight relief. But at the at the amp end, I just try plop this stuff. So back in the 90s, you couldn't get a coily guitar cable to save your life unless you went to Radio Shack. So no, I, went to, cable I went to Radio Shack and yeah, I paid I paid $6.95 for a 12-foot curly Q guitar cable with plastic end plugs on them. That was really only a then, three, it was only a three-foot cable, but they claimed it was 12 feet. And yeah. um, but uh so I haven't used that in a long time, but in my uh my brother just gave me a curly q cable uh it's like a gls um it's really thick and it, it sounds really good i uh, use it with my fendery stuff and well, um bullet cable makes them now so you can get you can go to bulletcable.com and buy them fenders fenders put some out i fenders I, um, are bad the cool yeah. coils or whatever Ugh, yeah they're, yeah the, i haven't bought any i'm just talking. um i have somewhere in a box out in my garage i have some of the old old curly cables like from back when I was playing the Who and stuff like that, they were those things were a pain in the ass. I, thought, I always thought I was going to pull my amp over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, Townsend actually did. He <laughs> did. David, those bullet cables have like bullet plugs on them, right? Aren't they like really heavy plugs? Yeah, I think so. Like if your input jack isn't set up very tight, I've heard of those falling out. I believe it. I believe because the, the plugs are just so heavy. Yeah, they look like they're beefy as hell. Yeah. Um, I, and that's another thing. I like the, uh, for the cheap cables, the, um, uh, the Dario Planet, Planet Waves. That's what I've got. Uh, American Stage. Because they have that plug that actually, like, uses the jack to hold it in place. Yep. And it, I mean, I had zero problems. I love those cables. 
could bite them and put them in snakes and stuff. Um, I do want to get, I do want to get some of your cables though. I, I think I talked to you about it at one point. Yeah, I need to build like a practice snake or something for the house. Here. Um, at some point, I'll have I'll have you make the set. So I'm going to go into why I haven't put a lot of money into cable you when it comes to my because I just have a bunch of well, uh, I have a bunch of Diderio, um, uh, the the our planet waves. Anyway, the reason that um, uh, I haven't put a lot of money into it is because everything gets done, everything sounds great, mic it up, and then stick it into a snake. Then it runs off to somebody over another set of cables, over another, and it becomes sound that they're putting through the main boxes anyway. So really, the only person getting the gratification of the tone, and we go back to what we talked about earlier, is me. Now, yes, I'm the one getting feedback from that, from that loop that's a feedback loop between my ears and my amp and the guitar and the amp too i've had uh, now uh, i don't know if this has ever happened to you because you know you've been on bigger stages nick as well um i've had times where i could the monitoring setup by whether we had a sound person that wasn't doing their job or whatever was so bad i could not hear my guitar if i went to certain places on the stage oh yeah that's and more so, often than not yeah, yeah. So I'll be standing there playing from memory. I have no idea. What's been there, man. Yeah, I just wondered it. So that that feedback of the loop is not just it, it's not just like fizzled. It's broken. And you're just like looking at the person next to you, going, "Okay, I can keep rhythm with this kick drum that I hear and the snare in my head, and uh, I'll I'll keep playing to that." Yeah, and that's where like the kiss gigs. I don't need to have boutique tone to play a kiss gig. <laughs> like I can show up with my Sans amp fly rig and go straight to PA because then, like you said, it goes into a snake, it goes into the yep. PA, comes through the monitor, comes through the mains. Um, I can play those songs on autopilot. I've been playing them since I was twelve, so I can get away with not hearing myself. Yep. And um, it's not about that boutique tone. It's about the entertainment. It's a show. Um, yep. So it takes a lot of that equation out. But for like a blues gig or an originals gig where the sound's important to you, um, I, I dig what you're saying about how it gets mic'd and it goes through a snake that's not even yours and stuff. But if I, I don't really think about it that way. I just like to, it's again, it's that feel thing. What comes out of your guitar amp speakers goes to your ears first because you're, you're standing right in front of your own amp. And if everybody else uh, feels it, even though they don't hear it, um, I think part of your body language and part of your, I don't know, like maybe your essence on stage is fueled by what you can feel. And if nobody else feels it, they might, you know, visually feel it. Or, you know, if you're making the band sound better because of how you feel that you're playing, it's going to communicate to them in another way other than what's coming through the mains. That's a, you know, you make an excellent point and it comes right back to what we talked about before. It's the right tool for the right job. You know, I, I don't, I'm not in a position right now where making the tone, it's not about me. It's, it is about the band and it is about playing as close to what I can do for the quote unquote record or the original recording, get a tone somewhere in there that would sound like if you had stuck the record on and you were playing it over the, the loudspeaker kind of. And so the little things that can make it me the, my choice of phrasing, my use of, of uh, different ways of playing, um, and I've spoken about that before, um, <clears throat> ways of phrasing and voicing um, certain things certainly come from me, 
but I have to make sure that when I'm playing it, I, and I know it sounds ridiculous. I'm not playing Franz Ferdinand, take me out, which I know you're like, why? <laughs> it's like, because, um, and, and so when I'm playing that, I've got to make sure that, that when you hear it, it's got that, you know, Paramore. Okay. I'm playing Paramore. Who plays Paramore other than Paramore. Right. And and so you got to say, okay, I'm going to do it like, like that, but I've got to go from Paramore to no doubt to Franz Ferdinand to whoever. Yeah. And those are things that I have to have tools. It's a kaleidoscope. Right. It's a completely different thing. One minute I'm blue. The next minute I'm orange. The next minute I'm red. The next minute I'm, I'm greenish purple. Well, there's in like uh Carl Verhane was interviewed once and he said, you know, he was, you know, Carl Verhane, the mm-hmm. uh it's kind of a virtuoso. Uh mm-hmm. he was commissioned to play a, a song in a studio, and the people who commissioned him had a, a specific guitar they wanted him to play. It's like a Trini Lopez or something. Right. And um and he was like, Well, I prefer to like just play the strat that I brought because it's got my tone, it's got everything in it. And, um, but they insisted and he, you know, he laid down the track, but when he left or he he was talking in this interview and he said that, um, they would have been more happy if, if he would have laid down the track with the guitar that he was more comfortable with playing. And even though it was sentimental to them that they had that guitar on, on the recording, it would have turned out better if he would have used the guitar that he was more comfortable with. Well, and that comes to what I think David talked about that before. You don't hire Trini, Trini Lopez to be Chuck Berry. You mean Carl Verhagen? Well, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. But Trini Lopez obviously was a guitar that he was playing. But yeah, it, yeah. you don't Carl hire Carl to be Trini, and you don't hire yeah. Trini to be Carl. Yeah, I, I think. And there's a, there's different people in um, you and I both know there's different people that the way they look at covers. Some people are like, it's my cover. I'm doing it my way. Well, it's and, like you have Dave Mustaine come to the come to the studio and say, can you play this uh, Kirk Hammett signature model on this track? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> so you're lucky he doesn't stab you in the face with yeah. the nearest a judo backspin object. Chuck Norris yeah. kick. Right. Right. He takes out one of his bottles of signature wine. <laughs> so we're still talking about cables in the, in the, in to some extent. I, I agree with you guys completely. I don't think it's necessarily something that people should stress over because yes, you are, you know, that's the, that's the strong point in the chain and you're only as strong as the weakest link. But I will say this much. I can hear a difference from cable to cable. And I'm not talking about brands of cable. I'm literally talking about, I have two Spectraflex cables. They're sitting here right next to me right now. And I can tell you that the blue one sounds different than the green one. I don't know why. Um, and it's just a little subtle difference in the high end. And it's specifically the harmonics, like upwards of 5K, somewhere in that, that range. And I use one for one guitar and one for another. That's something that, I don't think would come across live to people, but when I'm playing by myself, like I can tell and it drives me nuts. So just for what it's worth, I don't think I, sometimes we are sitting in our house playing our guitars to ourselves. Um, and this is, that's okay. This is, this is the kind, this is what, what I would say to people listening. And it takes me back to an Instagram post. I saw of Kenny Wayne Shepard. He's playing on his couch in his garage, playing right. a strat through like a vibra verb, you know, it's crackling and, 
he was like pulling on the on the and he's like oh, i'm sorry it was just the guitar cord i had laying around the house and i'm like dude if this is me like if i've got a guitar cord that's crackly i'm throwing it out or i'm resolving it doing something yeah and there's nothing worse than going to a gig and worrying about which patch cable is dead in like you've got five <laughs> pedals and somebody's like you've seen it before they're unplugging all the patch cables and trying to bypass them and trying to figure out which one's dead I, every time i rehearse with this one okay but kenny <laughs> wayne shepherd has usually got a guitar tech even if he's at home playing with himself he's got a guitar tech yeah but it's like at the very minimum you should be gigging with cables that you are confident that when you plug right. them in they will work and if that's why not, those that's why those, those bags i i don't i know those cables work and I, and i don't want to with them i don't want to break them i want to bring them yeah. so i have i have two sets two full sets every patch cable every three inch six inch four inch patch cable every single cable i have two of them and the oh. this the studio that i recorded i recorded an ep for uh a nerd rock band i was in called stroller coaster it was a really fun ep and we recorded it in the same place that like see they're recorded or something like that in detroit okay and um it was our first experience in the recording studio and I stepped on one of the, the microphone cables and they lit, they didn't light me up, but they're like, dude, those are studio grade microphone cables. And when you step on them, that like wears them out eventually. Like if everybody stepped on them, they'd be broken. So we, we try not to step on our guitar. We, we try not to step on any cables whatsoever. And that, it taught it taught me a really important lesson because when you're on stage, you're stepping on cables all over yeah. the place, and those cables don't last. I mean, everything eventually wears out because you're stepping on them all the time. So now I'm a little bit more conscious to just you know maybe not step on my guitar cables. Oh, I or, I, I, I am such a nerd. You would hate me when it comes to the stage. I take all my cables, I put them out there, and then I I put them in like a a, a snake type thing, and then I have these Velcro things, and I Velcro them all up every every foot i have a piece of velcro that goes around the cable so I, and then i push that out of the way it goes over here but doesn't get stepped on it sounds so like you, you just need to you, make this yeah get some tech flex you need to get this no, stuff because no because i want to pull them out every now and again yeah but that's the thing they, they like, come out just fine with the yeah, tech flex. you just do this and pull them out yeah it's your own little snake oh Jim doesn't want to do it because Jim's afraid that a cable's going to break at a gig, and then he'll have to run another cable alongside it. You you won't believe this. I run I run all the cables, the ones that Even are not hooked up are use. there, so that if I have to do that, I can just go <laughs> switch the ends, and they're all color coded on the ends, so that you know which one. Yeah, yeah, I do that anyway. But yeah, these I I built. I'm a nutcase. Snakes with this stuff. Like I just, I would build two snakes. If one of them fails, grab the other one. Done. Yeah. Or you could just put a backup guitar cable in your initial snake. Right. Yeah. And always just have like an extra failover. Mm-hmm. It's easy enough. And then the thing is, Jim, when you first do that and you uh, literally your setup is just Woo, done, you know, yeah, between, it's a good feeling. Between guitar cables failing on stage and uh, batteries for, for pedals, oh, I, yeah. I, I see people like trying to unscrew their boss pedal and flip oh, the yeah. thing up and in unplug the dark, it. In the dark, right? You know, yeah. Like, light their you mouth. Know, and it's like you left it plugged in early, even bass players with their active pickups, and it's just like farting out and getting all staticky. I'm like, dude, it's not your cable. It's the 9-volt in your bass. Like, yeah. unscrew it back and replace the 9-volt. 
It's like you just got to be on top of that stuff. Yeah, I my thing is like that's part of the reason why I haven't gone wireless yet. Um, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on a Sure GLX here real shortly. Um, I'm selling some stuff to to finance it, and I'm like kind of sitting there thinking selling blood. Well, I I sold that <laughs> Pinnacle, which is red. So I okay, uh, I I'll submit to you that that might have been blood. Um, I I'm hoping that I can make that work because if the GLX is, it works out for me, like then I, my only concern is I have one more point of failure, which is battery. And I, that just drives me crazy. Like I just sit there and think about man, battery going to be dead the next time I go to the gig. Like even if I change it, I'm still worried. Like, did it get left well, on? Yeah. On a, on a line six, um, on the transmitter, there's a, there's two, there's two colors. There's a, a blue color for your signal and a green color for your battery. And when you get within like 45 minutes of the battery going dead, it'll blink red. So, you know, okay, I only have like 15, 20 minutes left to play. So um, it'll at least let you know that well, the batteries are going dead. The other option is I get the boss one, which is like It's super expensive. No, the boss system's 200 bucks. Oh. You talk about super expensive. Where are you getting that I from? I thought that the boss one was expensive. No, it's look. The cat wants your attention, Mister. Look at him. Yeah, I know. The sure GLX <laughs> is the expensive one. I heard the That's boss it. one sounds really good through a katana. Yeah, it probably does. Probably <laughs> does. Probably sounds probably sounds better than the sure GLX. You really, a, um, you really don't like Boss, do you? To a Boss what is, Nick, what is your problem with Boss? I I yeah. like the I got a Wazacraft Blues driver. Um. But I don't know, bosses. They're they're rugged. They're good. I just I just think that they're uh, they're meddling with the amp, the amp stuff. But I mean, if, if there's a market out there, God bless them. Are they me- not, are they meddling not. though? Because they've been doing it for years. People act boss, like this is the first boss amp. Dude, that Roland's just, been putting out amps for years. Roland, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Roland yeah. the JCs. You know this thing. I, I've I've heard it would be bit. like if if GMC started making cars. <laughs> they do. Well, <laughs> under GM, like so now you're saying that they Roland. Do. I mean, no, GMC, GMC. Oh, GMC. GMC. yeah, they make all oh, that. Oh, you're talking about actual cars, not yeah, like, like GMC, GMC trucks and SUVs, but not cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just weird. Well, they, they no, but That's the thing is, point. like, how many brands does GM own? I mean, a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. didn't they shit can a couple of those? Did they shit can Buick? I can't remember. Yeah, they no, did. they shit can Hummer and no, they shit can Saturn. Saturn, I knew they. Hummer, Saturn, and Hummer. Saturn and Pontiac. Oh yeah, and Pontiac, yeah. Hummer. They they had a great South Park about the Hummer, the whole shit canning a Hummer. It was funny as shit. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I, I don't. I try it's not to October. <laughs> I try not to poo poo Boss because they are one of the big brands and they're one of the few ones that like when they come out with the product, it's gonna be decent. It like it, yeah for what it is now. Like that's the thing with the Katana, and I think this is what aggravates a lot of people with that amp. Bring it. Bring the whole thing full circle is that people think because Boss came out with an amp and everybody jumps on board because it's cheap, mm-hmm. oh, it's Boss, it's got to be good. No, bo- but it does what, it, what it's supposed to do really well as an entry right. amp. But yeah. like, it's not I, I, meant to be, like, it, it's better than a crate, in my opinion. I, I would put it you above know? entry level. I would call entry level your, your, um, uh, your spiders, you know, your, your low-end. I would put it barely, and when I say above, I mean barely above it. Yeah, and, and so I, I guess a gigable amp. A lot of these, they say, "Oh, you can gig with it," and they sound like dog shit when you gig with them. At least this thing's got the nuts; it's got the right frequencies. 
and the response to be able to actually get Yeah, I guess the only reason why I poo-poo it is because I'm just I'm I don't want to say I'm past it as a player, but I I'm of the mind where if I really want something that sounds good, I'm gonna save up the money for it. Well, you've got good stuff anyway. So like it's not marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're looking for a backup, you know. But I mean, I don't think anybody wants their custom pickup maker playing a katana. I think they want them playing something nicer. Yeah. Right. I agree. I, that blues cube you've got that's a that's a or not blues cube um the blue, the, Roland, uh, the the pv the the um classic 30 my classic, classic 30 yeah classic 30 that's a hell of an amp it and is. i tell you what you just did to it I that's like what it. every single person i've ever spoken to said if you've got a classic 30 all you got to do is retube it if you if you don't like it and and it'll come to life like you wouldn't yeah it, it's ridiculous I didn't like mine. Well, I owned a classic 100 head back in okay. 1995. That was my first tube amp, and it had eight EL84s in it. Wow. Or horizontally mounted. Oh, my and God. And there was a, a keeper plate in the back to keep them mushed in. And yeah. the uh, the bottles on the Sovtex were uh, shorter than the bottles on um, the groove tubes that I tried to replace it with. Uh, so so had- when I put the back on, it crushed the EL84s and all the pins cracked. And I, I brought it back to the place like three or four times. And they were, God bless these guys, like I said, growing up at the guitar store, because they were like throwing screwdrivers at the wall at these groove tubes that kept cracking. Put Solvtex back in, they were fine. Yep. But um, <laughs> it was a 100 watt, 100 watt PV Tweed classic wow. head. I, and I had- um, it sounded great. I knew they made a 50 because I've seen a 50. I yeah. didn't know they made a 100. Holy shit. Yep. I retubed my Classic cool. 30, and I was hoping that I was going to have that impact, and it, the amp just sounded so flat. I, I think it was a speaker. I just didn't like the speaker. That we How old was it? Uh, it was one of the earlier ones. It was uh, the Chrome chassis like with uh, a Blue Marvel speaker in it or something like that. Did it have a Blue Marvel logo on the back, or was uh, it just black? It had a blue. I, I I'm trying to remember. I had it was a black tweed, and then in the back, I think there was blue blue. It was black tweed. Yeah. Okay, so it was a newer one then. It must have been late '90s. Yeah, it had to be. Cause, cause, it had the the lightning bolt logo though. So I don't yeah. know, but it was not. Um, it was a made in USA one still. Yeah, the but earliest the earliest ones only came in tweed, and the the speaker on the back was just black, like the the, yeah. the speaker it, was black. Little, it, yeah, it didn't say blue marvel or anything on it. Yeah. That's how I knew it was a blue marble. It was, it was logoed. Um, and it, the reverb never worked on it. Mm. And um, wow. I remember we took it apart and we like tried to get the reverb going and I, there was something wrong with the board. And the flips so, were fine. Everything else was cool. but The boards on those are really bad. Um, the, the design of on the Classic 30s. Yeah. If, if you talk to amp techs and you say you've got a Classic 30 that needs work, a lot of them will hesitate because there's a, a board that all the, the, the pots are onto yep. Yep. and then there's like a metal wire that connects to a vertical board yep. and then another board that's horizontal that's held together my board clip so it's almost like a c-shape of three different boards yeah it's and when going you wanna... back in time as you're talking about this and remembering oh god so um there's a there's a website where you can mod classic 30s and i'm super interested in maybe modding my classic 30 because i just love the amp and like I've, I've been playing classic ev since i was 15 and um it'd be fun to kind of take it apart and mod it. But from all the amp techs I've ever talked to, they say, yeah, they're a pain in the ass. But like mm-hmm. for me, I don't know any better. So maybe well, it's not going to be a pain in the ass for me. It's just going to be what it is. Nick, for your, for your reference, like 
this is, you know, we talk about caviar taste and like, you think I would have better taste in tone than, than, you know, what I, where I'm at, but, but, but no, it's even worse than that. So the other day I was talking to Jim and we were talking about old PVs and I'm like, you know, I'd like to have a bandit, like a solid state bandit, (laughs) like the the trans tube. I want a red stripe. Trans tube. Yeah. I want a red stripe one. That's like Marshall valve state. Yeah. No, no. Did not even have a tube in it. No, I know it was. Okay, so I, I I will tell you my uh, my favorite amp if I could if I could have it they're not expensive and they're easy to find and when you can find them they're usually pretty cheap because they're freaking heavy and they're freaking loud but I love the tone of this amp and that's a four by ten Fender Deville oh yeah those sound great love that amp love that amp but it's just heavy and loud Jim, Jim if you like that amp do yourself a favor just get a super reverb. Well, here's the thing with those, uh, the, the DeVilles, the 410 DeVilles, they sound awesome. And those are like the exclusive, like honeymooner amps. You buy it and you say, check out this amp. I just got it for 350 bucks. It sounds so good. Yep. Two weeks later, I'm like, Hey man, you still got that Fender DeVille? You're like, Oh man, I had to sell it. It was too heavy. I couldn't take yeah. it anywhere. Yeah. It weighs <laughs> yep. like 85 pounds. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's like the honeymoon phase is over. I got to sell it. It's too heavy. I, 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 so I played... Go ahead. I played one of those, um, and it, the same. That's exactly what happened to me. I switched to the two by twelve version of the same amp. the The four by ten is eighty five freaking watts. I mean, that thing is is loud, and it is big, and it is heavy. If it, if it, uh, look up the weight on that, David. I want to say that's close to ninety pounds. Oh, look at him! <laughs> my it's my mother in law's dog. I'm babysitting it. What, what kind of dog is it? A Shih Tzu. Shih Tzu. <laughs> uh, my my son wants a uh, a Jack Russell. Oh, those or are no, nice dogs. Yeah, a Jack Russell or a um, uh, what's the short little what? No, um, just with a W, but it's not a. It's a short little hairy dog like that. Schnauzer. No, it starts with a W. What? Westie. A what? A Westie. No. I can't come up with it. Save my life. But um, yeah, J- Jim. Yeah, the weight, the weight on that. Yeah, it's only fifty pounds. No fucking way. There's no fucking way a four by ten fender. I'm looking at it right now, and they say fifty pounds. The, the, that- the heavy, the heaviest thing I own is a ported vertical two twelve cabinet with EVM twelve L's in it. Oh each Jesus! EVM, each EVM twelve L is uh, eighteen pounds. Yeah. Holy. Yeah, they, they said they say sixty watts, four by ten, thirty watt yep. speakers, and it is fifty pounds. Wow, it's that just, is the heaviest fifty pounds I've ever carried in my entire life. They're just big and awkward. But yeah, my, my Flextone two XL gym was seventy pounds. Okay, for I a fucking two by twelve. When I played in a cover oh, band in, in one by twelve version of that. In Milwaukee, there I I was playing my Rivera uh, combo through a, a Marshall 412, and the lead guitar player in this Milwaukee uh, cover band had a uh, a Line Six half stack, and it was the Flex Tone 2 XL, and he had the the wide Line Six board with the two pedals on the one side. Yeah, and he had some kind of custom Ibanez uh, guitar that he'd play through it, and the thing sounded amazing. And to Jim's point, we were playing 
Bush and No Doubt yeah, and yeah, Stone yeah. Temple Pilots and Walking on Sunshine and a Pat Benatar medley. And uh, he had a tone for everything. And it sounded so good. And I'm like, ah, screw that. I'm just going to, you know, use a wah-wah pedal and a tuner and plug straight in my Rivera and go. And I could sit in with them, no problem. But for all of the flourishes and all of the little tones and stuff, I'm like, he can, he can do that. And I'll just like sit in the mix. <laughs> yeah. I see so Jim is a, Jim is a cover player. Who's like, I want to get as close as I can to the original. I'm the guy that's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, as long as I got like a similar amp sound, like it'll be cool. Yeah. I got I, I try I, to get I mean, I can't get too close. There's a certain point where you just got to give up. But I try to get like, um, you know, there's certain effects that you've got to get in there. You know, if- I'm not even like, I'm not even that way, Jim. Like I'll play Eddie Van Halen and not even have a phaser on the board. Like I don't even care. <laughs> oh, you, are, you are out of that club. Yeah, right there. That what was the club I threw, I threw you out of earlier today? I, I You're out done. of that one too. <laughs> So the, what, about uh, three, what about three doors down? What, what uh, kind of tones uh, do you use for that? Nope. I uh, love three doors down. So shut up. I I love the tones for three doors down that I get. <laughs> shit. <laughs> three doors down. Creed and Nickelback. That was my cover band. Three doors down. Three doors down. It was a PRS to a friggin' Mesa. That Actually, Nick, if you ever retire from the Kiss thing, you want to do that in a, in a ironic, like really ridiculous sort of way. Like I'm all for it. Like, 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 like Steel Panther. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, Creed, like, yeah, I could do it. I'll make oh, Steel good. Panther. Look, they're making a killing at doing that crap. Yeah. Parody, uh, parody rock. Parody rock. I'm, I'm all oh, for it. Oh man. I, I listened to uh, Eddie Trunk. He was, he was slamming on them guys. He, he loves them as musicians. He said, but it's just not his thing. He said that you know, parody <laughs> rock. He slams on everything. He likes to Our slam podcast on podcast is more time. important than his. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <clears throat> it is kind of funny, though. You oh, so I was, I was telling David before that I went to the Ed Roman factory in Las Vegas. Oh, you did? Okay. And um, one of the things we were talking about, uh, like Nickelback and Creed, it reminded me of uh, Vinnie Vincent and Eddie Trunk. Uh, he actually had, uh, at, the, at the Ed Roman factory, they had all this wood that was curing and they had like a stack of all the Steinberger stuff. Cause I guess when Steinberg went out of business, they bought out all the yes, bodies and all the necks. And um, in this awkward corner, they had like a double V body, which was the Vinnie Vincent signature model. And they go, yeah, every once in a while we get a call for somebody that wants a Vinnie Vincent uh, <laughs> uh, Jackson with the double V body. You know, it's like a, it was like the, it was like the Randy Rhodes V, but it had two V's that yeah. were like kind of overlapping. And um, it was really wild looking, but uh, yeah, they, they were building one and they had the body all done up and everything. I thought that was kind of cool. And oh. they, they, Ed Roman makes like an Iceman, um, but the ice, Iceman was made for um, the guitar player in White Zombie when they yeah. did like more human than human and all that stuff. It was a, like a turquoise green uh, Iceman with like stars all over it. And I played it and it's, it sounded good. Um, the Ed Roman guitars are actually pretty cool. They got like a PRS ripoff and they've got. Um, some like kind of cool heavy metal-esque kind of stuff. And yeah, they got some cool stuff, but I've heard that there are rampant quality problems out of out of Ed Roman's shop. So I don't know. You'd have to play them, yeah. It, but and it would be different now because Ed's obviously gone. So they no. didn't have shit for amps. They had like a couple 5150 half stacks and they had like a like a, a fender half stack with like the gray carpeting on it, you know? And they didn't have really they didn't have really anything for amps, but they had a lot of cool, interesting guitars uh, in their showroom. And then since it was, it wasn't very busy in there. So I kind of coaxed them into uh, giving us a tour of the back room. It was interesting. It was a really cool uh, experience with anybody that's ever in Las Vegas. um, It's like a couple, maybe like a half a mile behind uh, 
uh, New York, New York and the Bellagio. It's, uh, yeah, I know, it's like know, right there. you could get an Uber there. No problem. And, uh, it was cool. I tried to go to another place called, um, uh, cow, cow, cow town. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, we, we get there, we take the Uber, we get out of the car and there was a couple, um, dudes that were in like chef's uniforms sitting on lawn chairs. They're like, y'all trying to get in the guitar store. And we're like, yeah, man, is it, is it open? They go, the guy literally closed up and left, um, over the weekend and didn't say anything, just locked it up and went out of business, I guess. And as we were leaving, um, the guy was like, Hey man, is Cowtown open? And the chefs are like, no man, come in for some barbecue. And he's like, well, you know, when he's going to be open, like, no man, we think he's closed for good. And he goes, well, if he left, he left with all my stuff. Like he had a guitar that was there getting worked on and the guy like completely shut down and the guy's like, how am I going to get my shit back? And the chefs were like, oh, we're, we're friends with the guy. We got his number and stuff. We'll try calling him his cell phone or whatever. But I'm like, let's get the hell out of here. Wow. Yeah. That's messed up. Vegas was interesting. Yeah. They're, they, uh, Vegas, baby. Yeah. They're still listed as being open. Yeah, they're, they're not. <laughs> or there's medical problems or something. You know, you yeah. got to remember when you're dealing with us, because there's only two employees there. You're dealing with a place like that. Somebody gets sick. Somebody, somebody passes on. Yeah, I was talking to Ed Roman, uh, their employee, his employees or whatever, and he was saying that uh, Cowtown does a lot of their stuff on the internet. Yeah. yeah. So they don't even need a storefront. Right. right. Yeah. So, so they could they could be on unclo- or oh, unopened and be just fine. Yeah. Gentlemen, I think uh, I think we're coming to the end of our episode here. I think we've reached that two hour. Yeah, it's only like two hours and forty eight minutes on the uh, call here. <laughs> we're flying blind uh right but so, this is the one week i didn't put any notes together it's good i think this is a good episode i think we had a lot of fun uh nick as always if you want to come back um maybe next month we'll have you back on or something to talk about uh next set of pickups or whatever um, well yeah, I'll, I'll reach so uh guys uh i have been david tonight i've been jim and I'm Nick from Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Yeah, he said it right. See? Somebody <laughs> knows what it's called. And tonight, and tonight, Branding, baby. Tonight, we have been practical guitarists. Oh. Uh.